Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 31 for January 19th, 2024. Today we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klapik. Hi. And Jenna Garcia. Hello. As always, we're a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. But don't just learn. Subscribe. Use those links to our <laughs> member page. You can sign up for monthly or annual plans to give you access to exclusive remap content. Okay, it's us talking about the Bears. Yeah, like it's it's, just, it's, it's, it's Rob, just talking about the Bears twice in a oh single God, week. Feel. Rob, January January is not a preview of all of Remap's content plans for the year, but it's it is a very specific slice. <laughs> yep, it's like what what else is ha- like what else is going on that we care about? Uh, just the Bears. What's happening with the Bears? Why are the Bears not good? Uh, well, there's a lot of the age old question. Yeah, <laughs> which apparently is not asked by anyone who works at the Chicago Bears. No. Anyway, uh, let's get into today's topics. Uh, obviously, there's just one thing on everybody's lips this week. And that is the fact that Stalker 2 has been delayed. Uh, GSC Game World released a statement that the delay stems in part from the reception a build of the game had from fans at Gamescom. Uh, The most relevant quote, two key points emerged from that. The first one was it absolutely felt and played like a stalker game, which basically summed up both the key intention and the main inspiration for the project from the very beginning. The second one was on the technical side of things, the game apparently needed more time in the oven. Now, <laughs> Rob, that is a very funny thing to say about a stalker game. Yeah. Do I want to play a stalker that finishes baking through? Is that, that is that? Uh, um, that sounds a little bit like Starfield. Uh, we all know how that turned out. Like, oh, look at this relatively bug free experience. <laughs> I mean, it's I, I think like. There were a couple previews there. It, it it did get it did get mixed it did get mixed reactions. Uh, that build, like I mean, you, you know, at this point, you you're a little concerned if you're if you're sort of been someone who's been looking forward to a new stalker game for ages. Obviously, there's so much expectation around it. You, you're you're a little concerned that like it's a hard act to follow. It's a hard vibe to nail. Um, stalker itself is like as we learned, your memory of stalker might be different than the stalker that like actually existed. And so, like, there's kind of this weird thing of, like, you're trying to recapture a vibe. But in the meantime, you had games like the Metro series come out from some of the original Stalker devs that were like, look at the look at the high bar we can we can hit, uh, you know, with a with more scripted and put together experience. Well, that's what I was going to say. That seems to be probably the I, I didn't read the, the the coverage coming out of Gamescom, but I have to imagine the problem facing any modern Stalker game is balancing uh, like the expe- the 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 weight of expectations, not from just from fans over like a dynamic, uh, like unscripted experience, but hey, like the these 
the way you present these games, like the Metro games almost force them into a corner to some degree of having to create a like single player game that is satisfying. And as as we discovered replaying Stalker, uh, now that I didn't have a great time, I did have a great time playing that game, but you couldn't, what is the modern version of that game, right? You can't release that game in 2023. So what is Stalker in 2023? Cause it's not Metro, right? Metro is much more akin to a traditional, here's a campaign. Go down Although their Waterloo level. was maybe trying to make something a bit more like Stalker. Yeah, the game that none of us liked. <laughs> I mean, I know Last Light, or that was the most recent one, right? Um, uh, Exodus. Last Exodus, Light was Exodus. the Second Last one. Light was basically we're doing Metro again, and it wasn't bad, yeah. but like mm. you know, the, it was kind of the first experience, but again, and maybe hit. Yeah, I I think all like me, you, Austin, were very excited for Exodus. The idea of wow, maybe they're they've spent the last decade building up to finding a way to do something more akin to original stalker, but using the more streamlined linear approach of the first Metro games to get there, which totally makes sense as, as a stepping stone. And I, I bounced off Exodus in like a handful of hours. It did, it did almost nothing for me. Um, Oh my God. I loved Exodus. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I hadn't played any of the other games, like any of the Metro games, any of the stalker, like, yeah, like that, uh, to your point, though, it's definitely like a seven to eight level game, which is like still kind of high in terms of only having like ten numbers, you know. But like, it, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I what did you what did you like in, about it as someone um, that has no context for yeah. stalker, which makes your experience with it really fascinating and perhaps beneficial for taking it as on on its own terms as opposed to the game you imagine in your head. But what what did you what did you find interesting about it? Yeah, I liked I did like the story. I mean, it's a little heavy handed at times. They really want you to remember. So, so was Metro. So that the main uh, that's, character's that's, name <laughs> is Art the Um. Like that was the main takeaway I had from, where I played it. And then I it's funny. My partner just finished it um, after like, I'm going to give it another chance because you liked it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've been this is after weeks, mind you. Of him just cooking games I liked. He's like, Control doesn't play well. Chicory's kind of, I'm like, oh God, another one. Another L. <laughs> is your is your partner just going through like your top 10 list? I'm like, let me tell you why you're wrong. Um, why me tell me why your thoughts are bad on these games? Uh, a little bit. I mean, it's, it's, it's been, <laughs> it's healthy. funny because, That's you know, <laughs> I know it's funny because, um, you know, like I'll hear a lot because I'm, I don't know, I tend to be maybe more critical than other people sometimes. Um, oh, like, there's oh, a like, payback dynamic. No, there's not. Because it's, <laughs> it's just funny that, like, I think about people online being like, well, I liked it, like, and I'm mad that you didn't like it. I was like, look, I got people in my own house that don't like the stuff I like. Like, just move on. Like, it's not that deep. I'm not validating um, the people I love, let alone this like this avatar on the internet. I'm like, look, get over. No, um, it, those are both games that he's tried previously. And it's like, I'm going to give it another shake. So it was basically like the re-return series, I guess, of mm. games that I enjoyed. He's like, oh, just, I'm sure there's something going on here. Do we like, need to do this too, head. Rob? Do we need to put on ray tracing and return yes. to Metro? We Exodus? always meant to. So we were I, always like, "Ooh, they put the new graphics tech in." Maybe yeah, that, that's what liked, it was missing. I don't know. Maybe I haven't. Maybe it's not being as fatigued on the style of game, admittedly. But I liked the just kind of going out into the wasteland, the creepiness of like the monsters that you would encounter. I liked. I enjoyed the gunplay. I liked getting to like sort of mod things and customize things, but on a really like slow world pace. Um, I enjoyed the overarching story. 
And yeah, I think I just like I like the environment and the general like gameplay loop of sort of meandering around and 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 seeing what's going on in the wasteland, I guess. Um I really wish I could remember what it was uh my partner had said about it where he's like when I shifted what I thought the game would be, I enjoyed it a lot more and then he ended up actually really liking it and I'm like, "Thank God." Yeah. Finally, a, a W. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the Chicago Bears out here in this apartment with these freaking picks. Like. Okay, all right. Well, let's be careful well, with our comparison points. <laughs> I, but I do, I do think part of it is like we had before we played that game, not too recently, uh, not or not too distantly, replayed the original Metro. So okay. I do think there was an element of some of the vibe stuff wasn't new to us, and we just seen like a really good execution of like the stuff that Metro is good at. But if you didn't have that context. And all the stuff is like new and novel. It's like, yeah, Metro, that's a great, that's a great conceit. This is a cool vibe, cool world. I think for us, it was like, this is the third, third outing. Sure. And we were hoping it would like, I want this to shake up how I feel about it. And I, it, it didn't. And I, I think that was, that was part of it. Uh, but the, like, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm antsy for this game. And, and also like you, you literally couldn't ask for a more cursed development in a lot of ways. Like you're, you're making a game meditating on like the ruins and, and hauntings left by like Soviet domination of your country. And in the midst of that, like a refunctious, like <laughs> a, a sequel Russian. to that. <laughs> yeah. Like your country's invaded. Um, you know, a ton of devs, you know, like like a lot of Ukrainians are, are you know, fighting in that war. Uh, the dev team had to relocate. So it's, it's kind of like there's a lot of uh, a lot of what we call headwinds with with a game like this. This is, you know, it, it's hard to think of like a, a, a tougher project to follow up on uh, than, than Stalker, which is why it's, you know, taken so long. And then with all that's happened, uh, you know, it's it's obviously going to be a challenging development. We will we will see how it goes. Um, but as the trailer announcing the new date reminds us, you can still pre-order Stalker Two right now. And uh, yeah, hell with it. I can't I can't wait to buy it and however it shakes out. But you know, what if we just didn't buy games at all oh anymore? My God, and instead just signed up to more and more subscription services. That's Ubisoft's (laughs) hope as they relaunch Ubisoft Plus and start the work of retraining audiences to stop thinking they own their games. Patrick, (laughs) besides blatant IP infringement against us personally, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what is Ubisoft doing here with Ubisoft Plus? Uh, Wait, are we we claiming... uh, yeah, plus was us. Okay. Plus was us. Plus was us. Plus was us. Right. We were plus. Yeah, don't, let's not do any investigation on that. Let's just, <laughs> let's just leave it. Uh, yeah, there was a, a fascinating interview uh, over at Games Industry Biz uh, with Christopher Dring, um, uh, uh, the, the, the reporter Christopher Dring, uh, with the the head of Ubisoft Plus, um, in which there, there's really one quote that sort of summarizes uh, exactly what Ubisoft is getting at, which I think is less. Uh, Wild than it has been portrayed, uh, but I understand the emotions that it it it, it draws out in people. So anyway, this uh, quote: one of the things we uh, we saw is that games. Uh, one thing we saw in games that gamers are used to, a little bit like DVD, is having and owning their games. That's the consumer shift that needs to happen. Maybe the word "need" is the is the problem. <laughs> they got comfortable not owning their CD collection or DVD collection. That's a transformation that's uh, been a bit slower to happen in games. As gamers grow comfortable in that aspect, 
You don't lose your progress. If you resume your game at another time, your progress file is still there. That's not been deleted. You don't lose what you've built in the game or your engagement with the game. So it's about feeling comfortable with not owning your game. I still have two boxes of DVDs. I definitely understand the gamer's protective with that. But as people embrace that model, they will see that games will exist, the service will continue, and you'll be able to access them when you feel like that's reassuring. Uh, and two I, whole I boxes of DVDs. He gets it, folks. <laughs> yeah. we got, holy shit. We got a collector here. Uh, Let me see your library, sir. <laughs> um, right. And so I think there's some important data points, like one in particular that is worth pointing out, which is uh, Matt Piscatella, uh, an uh, executive director and analyst over uh, at uh, Circana. Uh, which is a you know a, a video, you know kind of tracking sales and other data points in uh, video games. Uh, quote: uh, Subscription growth is flattened, <laughs> and subservices on console and PC platforms account for only ten percent of total video game content mm. spending in the U.S. I get that some people want to protect their preferred model, but the idea that subs will become dominant is unsupported by data. Subs have been more additive than cannibalistic and offer players, devs, <clears throat> and pubs publishers more chance, more choice in how to play or how to go to market. Fear mining, mongering on the topic is quite unnecessary. Uh, as it seems like two things can be true, right? Where streaming, uh, on demand, lack of owning a physical copy of your game is is likely to become more and more common. I think there's a generational shift happening, um, which you can cynically argue is just corporations <laughs> waiting out a new generation that doesn't understand the concept of physical ownership as a way of claiming more ownership themselves over how you consume all forms of entertainment. Uh, and also that there are, there are like lots of really nice benefits to streaming. Like, you know, I know plenty of people that are like, Hey, do I really want to buy, do I want to go to a uh, GameStop and buy a physical copy of the new avatar game? That seems kind of interesting. Not really. Can I just pay for a month of Ubisoft plus stick around in the game for 10 hours and go, that's fine. I don't need to do any more of this uninstall. And so I think it's way more in the direction of what Matt Piscatella is is gesturing at with what the data shows us that there are like positives and efficiencies and benefits to the idea of streaming, subbing, not necessarily having to own a box product and what do you do with it when you're done with it or don't like it. But this notion that uh, gamers just need to understand, you need to, you need to toss those in the box with the DVDs and move on with your life. I suspect is why this quote caused as much ire as it did. I think too, it's just like Ubisoft saying something that can be construed as dumb. People are like, yes, thank God. I've been waiting. They're like, it's been too long since we beat up on Ubisoft. They had that Prince of Persia drop. People seem to like it. They're like, all right. Another. Time for a quote to go and <laughs> undercut all of the positive goodwill coming out of the lost no, crown. Honestly, a little bit. And I, I think there's definitely a light layer to that. Like Ubisoft and EA are some of the most like, sort of shat on publishers like in a lot of ways and sometimes that is warranted i'm not going to pretend like they've always put out good games or that they've always made good business decisions or that they've always said great pull quotes you know but yeah i i mean i totally agree with you like i think it this definitely got you know blown into oh like this ubisoft person's gonna come and take my games or they don't understand like the culture, and I feel like I, it's funny on my timeline seeing people get up in arms about this quote. When I'm like, you yourself, like, are like, I don't care about distress. I don't care about physical media. I don't really care. I'm like, okay, some of I feel like some people talk more about how much they care about ownership than actually like put in efforts towards 
I don't know, working towards things that actually um, go towards game preservation and things. It's like, I think a lot of us like to talk about how much we care about it more than actually like put efforts towards it or, you know, amplify things that actually help the grander scheme of what like game preservation actually means versus like, can I click on this game and, oh, it sucks that sometimes my license is renewed. I think too, like game ownership is so fake at this point. Like a lot of times, like even me, I love physical, but like I'm not... I I don't own it in the way that I did before technology advanced to the point where I do need to have an aspect. You own a crappier version of the game, right? Like you're, you're, you are buying because of the shift in game development where what gets put on that disc is a, is a, it's 1.0, but it's not the 1.0 you want to play. You're going to be pulling down a big old day one patch. And so you own it, but you own an inferior version of the game that you probably wouldn't want to play and so you inevitably are then tied to getting a digital you know getting a license for a patch to to pull that down for that server being up like in many ways this this ship has sailed for sort of uh like like new games but where we're seeing it i think meaningful is you know you have you know there there are like uh more meaningful preservation uh like efforts popping up that are are trying to back catalog and archive games history but then you have you know places like limited run games which which like hey these games are now part of history we're going to take them we're gonna we're gonna chronicle them we're gonna like put them in their proper context and give you like like a historical document like like this is the game as it is it's not gonna change um and but i I understand that like the general anxiety with this shift uh and i think part of this is like the people in this room uh, are part of a very unique generation. And it, it stings back to another 20 or 30 years where like owning art, owning is like a, is a, is a, is like a relatively new phenomenon. Like it is like the idea that you can have a physical collection of the art that means something to you. Like is not, not, is really not, uh, has not existed very long. Even VHS tapes, like, for the longest time, those were 70, 80, 90, 100 dollars. Like that's why the rental model existed was so that blockbusters of the world could make those tapes be fucking cheaper. So um in in that in in, in that sense, they were just licensing uh, you know, by having to to come up with a business model that reduced it. But um I mean I, I think there are very few ways to look at this as a good thing, even if it is inevitably where we're leaving leading and where, like you said, Janet. If people looked at their own habits, I think they're more likely to find they're trending in this direction more often than not. Well, like, I think part of what gets me here is I think everyone knows they don't own their games. Like, this is the the weird thing. What he's talking about now is stripping away the last, like, the ghost of ownership yeah. that we already have where it's like, you know, you have a license to use something or you, as long as you can connect to the server and authenticate. Uh, yeah, go ahead and download and, and play that thing. And now he's like, we'd, we'd like to break you of that habit. I think the other thing that he's going into the teeth of here is like, it's very, to a degree, it's kind of very Ubisoft, right? Which is like going hard on a subscription model when there's a lot of indicators that subscription fatigue is here. That like people are getting tired of having to fork over cash to a bunch of these tiny little content silos. And then, like, what the offering is inside them can sometimes change. Like, I think from my standpoint, like, Xbox Game Pass is convenient and frictionless, and that's why I'm, like, that's why I have it. But, like, I use it less than I probably 
would or should. There is no subscription service that is going to rival the stuff I have bought on the cheap over the years that litters my Steam account, that litters my, you know, uh, you know, good old games account, or if you just call it GOG, uh, you know, that like you like I don't need to pay anyone $18 a month for their back catalog because at least to this point, I've always been able to sort of like, you know, get games on the third or fourth wave of like discounts and such. And like, ah, I'll, I'll try that at some point. And the funny thing is, I think that probably was a decent model to keep that like, like keep like letting people have like sort of get in on something like come, come long tail time. But what, a company like Ubisoft does, I think this is why their quotes often elicit such a reaction. Ubisoft has a problem where they wear their cynicism on their on their sleeve in a lot of ways. Uh, they 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 always kind of have going back to like when they when they became the face of like terrible DRM practices, uh, where where they're always like very upfront about. Here is something about the way people are using games and enjoying them that we don't like. We would find it more useful and profitable if they did something else that they don't like but would suit us. And we're going to try and put our thumb on the scale to force you over into into that mode. Uh, Like, nobody needs Ubisoft to come along and be like, you know, you you just need to be reconditioned. To, to to love <laughs> subscription models, but we've been we've been getting conditioned to love subscription models for years, and we've seen kind of there's there's some false promise stuff. Maybe Ubisoft Plus is going to be a banger, right? And like you know, in years to come, it's like it's the greatest, most stable back catalog of games. This is incredible. The best what values? <laughs> yeah, doesn't seem like they're off to that start. And in the meantime, like I would just much prefer to do what gamers have done since time immemorial. Raid the bargain bin, be it virtual or otherwise. What's better than looking over into that tray of just random games and being like, ooh, I remember someone saying this kind of didn't suck as much as everyone said. I will buy it. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, too. Like, um, I think this conversation coming up uh, during that review embargo lift for Prince of Persia, where a lot of the conversation that at least I saw online, I'm curious as to if y'all had this experience as well of people being like, oh, wow, like it sounds really good. Like, I can't wait to pick this up Black Friday. And I'm like, that's a long way away. But, you know, they're like, I I don't want to pay full price for this game, even though it's not like a $60 game. I think it's like I think it's 40 50, yeah. bucks, 40, 50 bucks. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, like I, they'd never say it, but I wonder if this is like, hey, you buy a lot of our games discounted. What if you just got all of our games discounted for like a monthly thing and then but you're paying us like 20 whatever. a month that'd be cool like buying a 20 like yeah and then forget three times and then that then it, that's more than i'd get for prince of persia one time i wonder how much that discount model how much of this might be even a reaction to that discount model that you're describing rob but also i think it the other thing that this entire model seems to impose is like real chaos in terms of what you let guide decisions about what you produce um what's like it seems to introduce a a degree of ambiguity about results whereas like sales of a thing uh a flawed metric a lot goes into it um but in the end it does indicate like this is how many people showed up to buy this thing it seems like in the in the 
streaming model, since you've got everything sort of bundled together, you get real like, well, people engage with this, but this is, did they, is that why they subscribed? Is that like, is the thing that people are using the thing that is actually driving subscriptions and that you, you end up in these places where I, I feel like a lot of the companies that have leaned in on subscriptions have found themselves. We see this, but I think maybe a bit more with TV um, and Patrick, maybe you know more about this. You follow the TV, the TV like business a bit more closely, but it sort of seems like, you know, you went from a world of like pretty clear TV ratings to much more ambiguous, like, what are people watching? What does it mean that they're watching it on this on this platform? Well, yeah, I mean, the big shift into streaming was that uh, there wasn't a third party monitoring the data. It all became proprietary data. And so that when a streaming company brags about how many people watched, you don't actually know what metrics they're using to determine the data that they're releasing and it's very easily spun into something that seems like a positive when if it was dropped into a broader context of what the, of what of those numbers, it might actually reveal like something awful. You know, I think part of the reason, one of the, the ongoing theories of why do streaming companies not release everything about what everyone's watching is because it would reveal 99% of it is not watched, right? You have, you have mm. uh, shows or movies that get people in the door and then all this content that's here to give you the sense of look at all the stuff you could watch just goes by the wayside. It would be like, it would be both demoralizing to creators and also reveal how much of the streaming service is actually much more akin to a box office in which you get people in, they pay their money, they churn out. And then, you know, the, the cycle begins uh, anew. Um, and it's just it, I, I'm with you, Rob. It's it's odd. This was just like not. If I was sitting down, getting ready to like talking to this executive, like, hey, you're about to do an interview about this service. Someone's going to ask you about not owning it. Just say that we continue, we are going to continue to offer physical versions of this game, and we hope the benefits of Ubisoft Plus, um, like make this a worthwhile addition to the Ubisoft fan. But the notion that you take the and I don't know the tone of the interview, right? Like it's texts, like maybe maybe there's a sense of playfulness that we're not getting out of uh, the text on the screen. But regardless, you should know how it's coming out of your mouth. And the way it's going to, like the way like capital G gamers are going to take this is that it's unnecessarily hostile. And it might be saying the quiet part out loud, which is what, yeah. look, go look at the original Xbox One, right? Like in many ways, what Microsoft pitched and what was broadly rejected was just prophetic for where, we're yeah. going in the long tail anyway. Um, and a lot of what's happening is along the way is just it's getting consumers comfortable with losing control over their entertainment, you know, and that comes in small ways. Like there was the, the it happened on PlayStation, but like there were TV shows. I think it was related to Discovery, something like that. I have the specific yeah. details on that wrong where uh, they're just, yeah, I know you bought it. You, de- you bought it. You didn't rent it. It's not on a streaming service. You paid for it. But the licenses are up and you can no longer access that content. And like we're part of the reason that like Rob, like people are so Steam centric is this this belief that. And I don't think it's entirely misplaced. All these companies wanting to make these services. Eventually, this is going to go away. We're seeing it happen mm-hmm. in television and movies where. The consolidation of streaming services is happening extremely rapidly. We're going to go to a handful of those because they found that the business models are are really just not profitable in the long term. And there's a good chance that games function the same way. Maybe you get a Ubisoft and EA that operates it on the side, but that broadly it gets consolidated back 
into these console makers. Um, and I don't know. It's just it, it's bizarre that Ubisoft feels the need, not feels the need, but has the arrogance of an arrogance is a great way to describe this company um, <laughs> at many junctures. And I think it's how you arrive at a, at a quote like that. Yeah, it's interesting, too, to see them um, do. Well, I guess EA, EA Play kind of started like this, too, where it was like their own thing. I don't know if you can get that. Stand, I don't think you can get that standalone anymore. It's all in Game Pass. So um, I think to your point, Patrick, I, I feel like this is all just converging into like game the Game Pass on Switch <laughs> future that everyone talks about, uh, you know, eventually coming to a head. But yeah, it's also it's it's a tough spot, too, where it's like, look, I can see why Ubisoft Plus exists. However, how many people are fans of Ubisoft proper? Like all of they do a lot of different stuff. So mm-hmm. it's the idea of versus Game Pass is such a catch all that like something on there, you know, what neither of us are playing, Rob, but what I downloaded on Game Pass and what you download on Game Pass are different. We have, you know, visions of what we want to get into, even if we don't end up pursuing yeah. it. But yeah, I think to your point too, Patrick, with the the analytics of how much you're actually like consuming or playing of things like the thing that has really pushed me away from a lot of subscription services besides the fact that obviously having this job like i get a lot of codes direct so i don't need to right you know i don't have as many incentives as like i would if i was a average player but even with that you do end up having those times where like you just don't get to it and it just ends up being like a bill i have you know, I call Game Pass the gym for gamers because if you use it, it's a great value. But more likely than not, it's like there and you're like, that's who I want to be. Like, I want to be the a person. good deal. Look at all those games to, I yeah. could be playing. I don't even need to play that much. And that's convenient because I'm not going to play that much because I'm not actually going to play anything. But it's the idea. It, Game Pass I might is download who I it, though, be. right? Like go into the yeah. app. Oh yeah, download it to my console. I'm, oh, the minute it's I'm gonna like check that out. Saying goodbye to these games on Game Pass, I'm like, no, Jack. <laughs> I was, I was get thinking on the, maybe get on the float. To it. Yeah, that's like no, I it's actually I wanted to play it. Like, if I could just beat Dordonia, this would all be worth it. But I didn't finish Dordonia. And I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't think that's gonna, you know, change anytime soon. But yeah, I feel like this will probably eventually just get rolled into Game Pass, I imagine. Yeah, uh, t- two things. Uh, one, uh, uh, EA Play uh, does still exist. Uh, there, it is. There I is like an add-on model, like with Game yes. Pass, where you can get it rolled into that. But you, you can still uh, get it for, uh, hmm. you know, there's a there's a five nine nine a month EA Play Pro. You know, there's they have, they, but like yeah, try, there is a yeah, similar okay. sort of thing like Ubisoft Plus, where it's like, hey, do you want to play games early? Do you want to play them in a trial format, um, sort of thing? Um, that I assume, like for the Ubisofts of the world. Is many in many ways laying the groundwork for like where Assassin's Creed is going, where like you can imagine right. a live service Assassin's Creed where why pay seventy dollars for that plus the DLCs when you could just sign up for Ubisoft Plus and we need that for Just Dance because I'm tired <laughs> of where Just Dance went. <laughs> like I'm paying sixty bucks, sixty seventy bucks for the game, and then the game now I I heard the last game came with like four songs. Oh my god. Like four yeah. free songs. Like something it, yeah, there's ridiculous. No, there's no subscription service for for for, for just dance. My 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 kingdom for rock band to rock band five to happen, which will never happen. They're actually literally are just stopping yeah, yeah. just after eight years the music the, the DLC for Rock Band Four, which I think for a lot of people was a surprise to learn that Rock Band Four was still getting uh DLC. Um, yeah, it's but, the leaving uh, game pass of game news where I'm like, oh yeah. no, oh, like yeah, I was I still using this. <laughs> the sort of. the other uh the other quote that's worth pointing out is from 
uh, the CEO of uh, Larian, the developers of, of Baldur's Gate 3, um, uh, Swen Vinke, uh, who, who wrote and just straight up quote tweeted, uh, the, you know, the, an IGN uh, piece about uh, the Ubisoft quotes. Uh, so anyway, Swen says, uh, whatever the future of games look like, content will always be king, but it's going to be a lot harder to get good content if subscription becomes the dominant model and a select group gets to decide what goes to market and whatnot. Direct from developer to players is the way. Getting a board to okay a project fueled by idealism is almost impossible, and idealism needs room to exist, even if it can lead to disaster. Subscription models will always end up being cost-benefit analysis exercises intended to maximize profit. There's nothing wrong with that, but it may not become a monopoly of subscription services. We are already all dependent on a select group of digital distribution platforms, and discover discoverability is brutal. Should those platforms all switch to subscription, it'll become savage. In such a world, by definition, the preference of the subscription service will determine what games get made. Trust me, you don't really want that. TLDR, you won't find our games on a subservice, even though I respect that for many developers it presents an opportunity to make their game. I don't have an issue with that. I just want to make sure the other ecosystems don't die because they're valuable. Um, now, obviously, Larian in a very good position at the moment, given how, <laughs> how like, like unicorn-like position enabled, we, But a position enabled correct. by that pipeline that they're describing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. I just mean it's slightly easier to say when you've, like, your game is sold to a degree that, like, the studio will never worry about but, money again. <laughs> but, but to a degree, but you want like, the minute this stuff becomes just, like, the, 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 a streaming service, a subscription service becomes, like, a warehouse where people pay to access and then the people who made the content in it get peanuts right and that's mm-hmm. like you know it, it devalues a lot of the stuff that's in that warehouse because now it is now it's all free the subscription costs money but the games within it are free and that's the <laughs> that mm-hmm. like that w- tends to be that's bad news for people who are not going to be driving a lot of the engagement within that like streaming service audience like as we see with just the way that uh, Spotify in particular has found like new and novel ways to put the screws to musicians just across the board. Um, But I also feel like some of the publishers, like you're playing with fire. If you are doing stuff that will create the perception of a product being devalued, I understand why it makes sense to Ubisoft to be like Assassin's Creed should be a platform. But I think it takes a kind of, arrogance and recklessness to be like yeah no that that reliable like multi-million seller that we just put out every few years and it like for years it was a major gaming event on the calendar we need to we need to bust that right up we need to we need to stop having like new assassin's creeds coming out that people are like forking over their cash what we need to do is turn it into a thing you log into and then like you know what's what's the new assassin's creed drop uh this quarter this year like i i think there's a there's a recklessness uh when you are looking at a successful blockbuster model that has worked well for you and you're saying we got to get off this we gotta we gotta get to a subs model uh i see the upshot to it but I do think there's a perception, there's a change in perception of value. Well, I think you can look at the chasing of subtrends to line up neatly with the chasing of live service trends, right? It's the same idea. Um, and that's like fascinating, the statement that Naughty Dog put out when they formally canceled uh, their the, the Last of Us uh, multiplayer spinoff in which uh, they more or less said, we are faced with an existential crisis in front of us become a live service studio at the expense of what 
has been our core identity or continue to make the games that have made us the studio that you, you, you know, have, you know, have enjoyed the games we've put out. Um, and that's a fascinating way to publicly message why you're canceling a project like that. And it may be convenient. Maybe that was a poorly managed project. Naughty Dog has a long history of being a developer that exploits its workers. Absolutely all that could be true. And it's also not wrong, right? Like we have seen this obsession with chasing the live service model. And I think you can, I think you're totally right, Robert. It lines up here with subscriptions as a way of ultimately devaluing what is on there by chasing that monthly number that is more consistent than the like blockbuster model, which itself has its own problems, right? Look at, you know, Spider-Man 2, right? You can be the best-selling game and you're still looking to cut people at the studio that made it. And so I think, you know, it certainly speaks to the challenge that video games have as a whole um, that leads to, you know, some of these business models that have their own corrupting consequences. Yeah. I, I The thing about the Insomniac stuff, though, that, like, they always want to cut staff. Like in the industry, mm. like successful project or not, they always want to cut staff. Like I'm uh, like you cut staff after you ship a project. That is regardless of how successful it is. We, we've seen that play out time and time again. That's, like, that's yes, sure. the, the stakes are very high. But in terms of the like. Like the, the stakes are very high. You're sort of get, you're betting the company each outing. But if you're one of those places that like, no, when we when we sell when, when we make one of these games, we make a mint. Uh, I think that's probably still the best place you can be in terms of like our future is assured. It doesn't mean your future is assured line developer, but it never has. <laughs> uh, so like I'm, I'm uh, like, Damn. I don't look at stories like, uh, yeah, I don't look like, you know, the things like, uh, what, what goes on with Sony studios and being like, boy, they should really be thinking about uh, getting on that, on that subs model. I think overall, like they're in a they're in a very good position in part because they've resisted anything to devalue um, what they what they put out. Arguably, their bigger problem is the cost of making these games keeps going up and up and up. And people are just very accustomed to not. Seeing the prices of games inflate in ways that are visible. Right. It's all about like, how can we get how can we get. 80 or hundred dollars out of you, but like make you think you paid 60 or 70. <laughs> uh, but look, obviously, uh, you know, if, if we push a lot of these changes through, we will solve the games industry. Uh, and it clearly needs solving because this week we had more, 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 more layoffs, Patrick. Yeah. Um, the Thunderful group, uh, they, they encompass a, a bunch of, of game developers, uh, most notably recently, uh, Steam World Build uh, and Lego Brick Tales uh, announced they were laying off uh, 20% of their staff, which is with a group of 100 people, 500 people is roughly 100 people. Uh, Thunderful, uh, in a quote, uh, attributed it to, quote, overinvestments um, that in recent years have, quote, proved unsustainable given the current industry climate, which has resulted in the group, the Thunderful group, being particularly affected by changing market conditions. Uh, going forward, the company will, quote, focus its efforts on the strategic assets with the best long-term pros- uh, prospects. Uh, well, that's a whole lot you know, of nothing. It's a whole lot of nothing, but it's a whole lot of something in the sense that, like, 
as we talked about on last week's episode, I just feel like this is going to be I've from folks that work in game development, the they have quickly pivoted from this year is going to be another bad year to this year is already seeming like it's going to be even worse and that we are staring down the barrel of a games industry that is going going to go through a true labor reckoning in like the next 18 months that it's it's really hard to understand how much bloodletting is going to occur uh, cynically or or not or strategically or not whatever like however you want to mark it up but that these are not isolated incidents um, and to, to have this many people laid off in the first couple of weeks of January suggests that you know, you can certainly look at it as like this is a signal for a lot of other companies to be like, well, nobody's going to get mad at us explicitly. Look at this industry trend. And I am sure that is part of that. Like mm-hmm. everyone looks at each other and goes, this is a permission slip to take to do something painful that otherwise we might get criticized for. And instead, we just get lumped in with the day to day. Oh, another set of layoffs. Like when, once layoffs become like repetitive, like that's that seems very easily weaponized by companies that will do it because it is convenient, not because it is necessary. And that's what makes each of these layoffs so difficult to parse is how much of this is like well-meaning people that like made a bad bet and then are trying to save the jobs of of the rest. And how much is just, wow, uh, hey, George down the street just cut 100 people. Like if we, we could we could do that too. And boy, wouldn't, wouldn't that help our margins? And I I suspect a lot of it is is the latter. I think the the cynical take is probably... More often than not going to be the correct take here, but it's uh, it's dispiriting. It's also a great way to deny your workers if you're not laying people off. Oh, well, that raise you've been asking for. I mean, you're, you're lucky to even have a job. It has you know? trickle down effects. You're totally right. <laughs> so um, besides, you know, we talked about two of the obvious morale hits that the industry at large takes that the individual like studios or publishing teams take as well. Um, seeing this happen to like colleagues, whether they're direct within the company or in the wider industry. But yeah, I do think this, I mean, again, these things have always been true, but like this is absolutely going to be weaponized against studios that don't have layoffs where it's like, hey, you know, you you want you want to walk. I mean, good luck finding a place to go. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying what we all know, you know, <laughs> and it, it does become that sort of thing, unfortunately, as well. So I think it's really felt regardless of if you're directly affected. Yeah, I think like this wave of layoffs has felt like it is in part driven to discipline employees and wage expectations. Like that is like, remember years ago there was the scandal in um, uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, It was Apple Lucas film. And uh, I think there was a third party, but like the wage fixing scandal, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where they agreed not to compete for talent effectively. They, they'd sort of, quietly set caps on compensation and like that's wildly illegal you can't do that uh but what you can do you know if if you do stuff like privately it's off the off the books conversations you get collusion those are that's that's criminal you can't do stuff like that but what we found in like any sort of consolidated industry for instance is that companies engage in signaling you know one airline raises fees suddenly they've all raised fees and because there's only a number of carriers you know it's that's a market shift, Rob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody. No, it's not collusion. It's just, you know, we're all following the trend set by, you know, United or something. Uh, with this, like the industry is not nearly as consolidated, but it has felt in addition to this, this element of, 
ah, there's, you know, savvy studio managers and publishers are, are, are cutting headcount. Maybe we should do the same. But also it, it, it does feel like there is, there is likely a desire to push compensation down behind this uh like not just cut off well-compensated employees but also to janet's point to have a heavier club to threaten current employees with uh when it comes to things like uh you know comp and benefits down the road that's like when i see when i see all this happening like i have no doubt a lot of these companies are badly managed they're probably badly managed before what's changed now is like they all see that the you know, cured what ails them is laying off tons and tons of people. Um, I'd be very curious in the coming months to track openings listings. Because if you start seeing like a lot of these companies start to hire back up fast to something comparable to what they had before, you know, it would at least be kind of a tell that, okay, they didn't actually like want to reduce staff they wanted to cut salaries and maybe start at a lower at a lower tier. Uh, I, I just I, it it feels very yeah it feels very pointed. Um, you know, obviously it's always kind of a a, a harsh and 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 harmful thing to you know, to, to fire anyone. Uh, but yeah, when you when you have it conducted this way as kind of an industry trend, it, it does kind of feel like. It is an attempt to claw back what companies feel they got stuck paying when there were bidding wars effectively for talent when there's a real like when it was hard to find anybody. Um, it feels like that might have stuck in the craw of a lot of companies. Uh, the 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 deals they had to offer to get staff during like particularly around the pandemic. Right. Well, com- combined with the lack of liquidity in money right now. Right. So you're you're. You make these bad bets. You have you have these grievances, and then also there's there's no free money to cover up the bad bets anymore, um, which results in this type of squeeze with very few consequences for the people who made those bets in the first place. Yeah. Um. What was the what was the last bit of news that we wanted to hit here? Uh, oh God. Uh, the yeah square. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Woo, another company that likes to step in it, but at least they're honest about it, right? You know, um, uh, Square over and over for the last like two years has been putting out like CEO statements. They're like, we think AI and crypto is cool. It's like, all right, well, at least you're telling me. Um, so this comes from Video Games Chronicle, VGC, uh, Andy Robinson uh, reports uh, that uh, in a uh, – a uh, recent event for the upcoming Foam Stars game, which is a sort of Splatoon-like multiplayer shooter that I played a couple rounds of last year at Summer Games Fest. Seemed totally fine. Uh, I didn't didn't really like land, but I, I I guess my expectations were rock bottom. And then I played it and went, huh? Well, there are worse ways to spend your time. That was um, like everyone's and- conversation <laughs> around that. They're like, hey, have you played Foam Stars? Doesn't suck. I'm like, okay, I'll go yeah, check it out. Yes, like- that was. <laughs> Man, I literally yeah, might have told you that, actually. I might have been suck. why you played Stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there weren't that many games to play at Summer Games Fest, so it's like, well, am I really going to skip an appointment or cancel it? It's like, nope, I just hope I'm not. <laughs> the 30 minutes I'm spending couldn't, you know, could be worse. So anyway, it's that's that's the game. And uh, VGC asked um, one of the producers on Foam Stars if AI was used for any elements of the game. And specifically the reason it was asked was because 
uh, in a recent New Year's letter from Square Enix's president, they uh, uh, quote, we're going to be aggressive in applying AI to development. Um, and so what ex- you would imagine that it's going to become a regular question at sort of like press roundtables, like where was it used here? Because Square is not being squirrely about it, right? They're 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 kind of saying like, hey, we are going to try this. And so I, get, I think it's not shocking then that you have developers after being enabled by the, the company's president uh, to, to be a little more uh, forthright about it. So anyway, this gets to uh, a producer on Foamstars uh, admitting uh, that all the core elements in Foamstars, the core, core gameplay and the things that make the game enjoyable, those are all made by hand. However, we did want to experiment with AI as well. In terms of the content of the game, this makes up about 0.01% or even less, but we have dabbled in it by creating these icons in the game. And by icons, they used Midjourney, which is one of the more popular um, generative AI uh, oh, tools. the one that, that's being uh, sued? Uses- the one that's the one that's being sued uh-huh. for. Well, they're all they're all starting to be sued, Kata. So like saying this one is being sued uh, yeah. is, does not necessarily nail it down. But I, uh, you know, do you Midjourney? These other places did not hire like tens of thousands of artists to create art that then creates like the algorithm. They stole it. Mm-hmm. They stole it. They've been blatant about it, and like we'll just raise a bunch of uh, VC capital and use that to try and fend off or settle lawsuits in the future it's a very cynical way of approaching it but that's that's where we're at um and there are these album covers in game for the music in foam stars that was i, I think made by the you know like in-house artists at at square working on the game uh and like that is the that's according to square that is where the ai experimentation happened it was using mid-journey uh to prompt the creation of these album arts which then went into the game and it, it doesn't even seem like this is a instance of hey we used a uh a g- generative ai uh service to give us an idea of something and then an artist went in and tweaked something that it produced this is very much it sounds like that looks cool copy paste like yeah. it's in the game uh square uh, enix uh put out a statement uh later to kind of quote clarify which is really just to confirm what they said which was ai was using the creation of the in-game album covers for the music featured in the foam star soundtrack as developers, we're always looking at new technologies to see how they can assist with game development. In this in- instance, we experimented, experimented with Midjourney using simple prompts to produce abstract images. We loved what was created and used them as the final album covers players will see in the game. Everything else was created entirely by our development team. Uh, so 0.01%, you know, but I suspect that's not I suspect that's not where Square is going to stop. <laughs> Um, you know, it's in a, in a weird way, like there's, there's a lot of like the thing you can see for like, let's call it like, you know, to a degree of like a form of procedural generation, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that you would love to take off people's hands. That's like kind of low value, repetitive work that you can just like, ah, oh, let's, let's, let's turn this thing out. Speed I, tree. You yeah. know, I like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like, I can see where like, there's, there's going to be a desire to find ways to, uh, like leverage stuff like that, but the the whole thing really is compromised by the fact that like all of this stuff does reside on the fact that they just ingested and then stole and regurgitated work they didn't have the rights to. Uh, that they're then you know using to turn around and attack um you know professional creators. The the other thing that I that I find I've thought about like. 
the circular, the thing that's like really circular and frustrating about AI generated art and such is that at Vice, when it came time to like to, to put art on articles, I don't know that I would have been like sorely tempted to use it because like I have like moral objections to it, but I can see the convenience of it because certain conditions attained at a company like Vice that I think are common elsewhere. <laughs> One is that your budget is fucked. Like every time, including in-house artists, we like mm-hmm. Vice had in-house if artists that we one. weren't allowed to use. It was like yeah. they don't, you can't have our in-house artists work on that. You need to, always weird internal battles over like you don't have the money to pay the company for the person who works for the company uh, to do to create a piece of art for you. Uh, all, all sorts of stuff like that. But also doing any sort of commission for for vice because our internal payment processes and you know paperwork stuff was so bad that it was like to create one piece of art is like an 8 hour workday of <laughs> shit that you're going to be undertaking to like go through the process of ha- like the the like a lot of times you'll hear it framed as like artists are not that expensive like pay for real art pay your fucking artists that's true these companies set things up to create like so many roadblocks to working with outside contractors, making the process of like getting art from an artist into a place where you can use it with like legal sign off and then like actually paying the artist because a lot of processes are set up to make sure they're not paid promptly and on time. <laughs> but maybe you're paid when your company ends up in administration can can start cobbling together the money. Uh, but like AI, like AI art, I know the problems it solves for a lot of companies. They're real, and it would be incredibly convenient just to be able to like boop, 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 typing in prompts, bam, there's a thing that can pass a quick eye test, and people won't see it as like just, just you know, uh, machine-generated crap. But a lot of the problems it's solving are really ones more about internal processes, um, and I think that's that's true of a lot of AI stuff, right? Where it's like, here are here are like logistical problems and like workflows that you haven't figured out because this stuff is hard. But what if you could just type search terms into a box and have something happen while you're just like having another day like shipwrecked at your desk? Uh, wouldn't that be great? And I, I see why people want to do it. I see where like people end up uh, like trying to deploy it in situations like this because like. It's going to be so few steps compared to doing it the right way. Um, if you're even allowed to do it the right way. Yeah. Right. Like, do you have the clout to do it the right way? Do you have the budget to do it the right way? And so, you know, but that's how, like many things, that's how a company like Midjourney gets away with it. Right. Is like you, you embed yourself with the convenience of the tool, uh, raise enough money to combat the lawsuit, settle with a bunch of deviant art artists and, move on with your life. I mean, it's be far different if Square had come forward and said, look, we've looked at things like mid journey and we had an in-house group of artists, uh, contribute work. And we use that to create our own his in-house prompts that allowed us to make these. Yeah. And if you have a <clears throat> fundamental problem with the notion of like an algorithm that is fueled by art to produce something else, like that's Godspeed. Like I, I can, I can certainly understand the argument. Um, but the ethics of, we paid people to produce art that went into an algorithm that spat out something else 
is fundamentally different than in many ways, Rob, it feels like here Square is hedging, which is, well, the only reason it's Almazar, because if they get sued, it's a very easy patch for us to fix that, as opposed to uh, we used it for character designs oh, or point. skins yeah. that mm-hmm. we're selling. You know, it allows them to dip their toe. And they're staking that it, little goat out. <laughs> they're staking that little goat you out. Want, you, want, you want to be even more cynical if money, where's the one place that money is not liquid right now? AI, right? Like it is, it has gotten, it is solidified in and become difficult in games, crypto, like, but you know where the, like the, the money is liquid is AI. And I can imagine why a company like Square would be like, well, how much do we, we have, we're, we're the final fantasy maker. If we just put a tiny bit, <laughs> like a tiny bit of AI, don't you think that shakes some money loose from folks who would like to be associated with the company Square Enix? Um, so I don't. I look at stuff like that, and it's like they didn't actually change anything about their process. This whole, this whole, we're integrating AI technologies. No, you fucking didn't. You just like gave an intern like a day to like spit out some prompts, and someone went, "I guess that's not too ugly." Well, um, it's, it's the same way. Every all AI integration is like, God help me, I still use Bing because my Microsoft Surface, like I still use Internet Explorer on it, <laughs> but I like type God. Bing in, and like you get Bing results, and then suddenly the page changes. And something starts typing an answer to you instead of giving you the search results. And it's like, that's your AI assistant here to answer your query. No. And it's like, but you just shoved the search results out of the way, which are the actual fucking information. Yes, those are flawed, too, because half of them are shopping links and I'm not even shopping for anything. But the point is, why am I watching some sort of thing type a message to itself? It's like it's like kind words for dog shit and misinformation. And this and everyone's like, we're integrating AI into our processes. And it's like really badly, really badly. <laughs> it's a hood ornament. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I do think it's on some level, I credit Square for being forward about like, yeah, we're just using mid journey. Like, oh, oh, OK. Like everyone else, I feel like is 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 doing similar experiments, whether they're disclosing them. Or not, um, you know, and it's how you get into situations like, what was it? Uh, the Magic the Gathering folks. Uh, yeah. Uh, for, you know, uh, if you if you if you buy their line, is that they used a piece of art through what, like Adobe's, uh, like well, they uh, it was in house store, and then it wasn't flagged as AI, but then it was later determined to be AI because the artist who contributed to the store didn't disclose that it was. AI was Yukato, you might have a better sense of the particular. Um, from what, what I remember, it was the uh, they contracted an outside party to do stuff, and that outside party, like knowingly used AI, but didn't tell Magic the Gathering, didn't tell Wizards of right. the Coast when they turned it in that they had used AI because Photoshop now has uh, AI built in where like you could do like you know. Uh, they they used to have this thing called content aware fill, right? Where it, there was an algorithm yeah. where it could like fill in based on what the pixels around it were. They could fill a hole yeah. with like just background or whatever you you know. to not try to make it uh, seamless. Um, and like now, there's AI versions of that that sort of tool, and so like that was technically used in the creation of some of, some of those images. Um, but yeah, it was like the their like one their one like uh lifeline there was just basically like, oh, it wasn't in-house. It wasn't in-house. We didn't do this on purpose. The contractor didn't tell us. It was someone else. <laughs> well, it, it, what and what feels particularly insidious about all of this is 
How how often do we see these? You know, again, it's why at least Credit Square was saying, here's the shit we're doing, as opposed to what seems to be the other cycle that is uh, so, like detective work done by people to own, like, actually, like, this is AI. And then I, I feel like I see this happen, actually, I, I, this is partially in video games and in lots of places elsewhere where there's an there's a totally earned and understood paranoia o- over, is the thing that I'm engaging with right now using something that is undermining creative people? And you just don't no, so it leads to often, and many times people are like that's AI, and then you'll find out like, well, it is, but not in the way that you think it is. Like it's not, it's it's not a major like, but everyone is on pins and needles where anything you're looking at these days can feel as though you are participating in something that is taking away from artists, other creative fields, and you may be do, doing so unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Look, if I want to participate something insidious, let me like let me click agree. Uh, but uh, it feels like this <laughs> this stuff is trending in the direction of you're just not going to know. And the ability for people to snuff out something like Wizards of the Coast using some like at some point that's that stuff will get much harder to track. Right. I imagine like it's going to be harder to parse like. A f- like six fingers on a hand, right? Like that stuff will get figured out. And that's when it gets so much scarier because sucks. we, it, what slips away from us is our ability to parse the difference between things unless it's disclosed to us. And there's going to be absolutely no reason for companies to disclose it. And so you end up participating in something that is going to contribute to layoffs and, and, and taking away jobs from creatives. And you won't even know that you're doing it. Which I guess is just capitalism, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess just the, the last the last thing we can just cover really quickly here um, in, in, in the Department of Things, just getting better and better. Um, yeah. I guess not a huge surprise here. Uh, Supreme Court has tied off the epic, uh, the epic, epic, the, the epic uh, versus Apple uh appeals uh they, they basically upheld uh you know previous rulings one thing that's striking is like <laughs> the stark disparity between what happened with apple and epic versus what happened with epic and google uh in terms of what it, it's very it's very funny uh that that apple gets sued for anti-competitive practices and they get kind of the wrist slap which is that they have to uh that they have to like curtail their ant uh their their steering practices right that uh that they they have to stop block like blocking the ability of people to point uh Apple product users to alternative stores uh where they the can- for example, like Netflix is a great example yeah. right like for many years if you sign up for Netflix you could do so through Apple's App Store they would manage your subscription and there are lots of actually like I try to manage as many of my subscriptions to the Apple stuff because they make it very. Have you ever tried to cancel the New York Times? Like a <laughs> lot nicer to just Constantly. hit a cancel button, and Apple does that. Like that should be their argument that they make things convenient, not that they are like a monopolist that is like a, like a rent seeking <laughs> extractor. Um, and what, what, what Netflix have orig- eventually abandoned the ability for you to sign up through Netflix through the uh, the App Store specifically because they didn't want to give that thirty percent cut to Apple. And so Netflix gambled on, we are big enough that people will be frustrated that they can't do it and they'll 
find a way to sign up because Apple prevents you from putting in, by the way, you can sign up over at, over at Netflix.com. You cannot link to that. You can't mention it. There, I believe when uh, Netflix took away the in-app subscription option, they set up for the first time like a, a customer service department that was just meant to field people calling to be like, I don't understand how I sign up on an Apple device. Oh, like us Just to answer cast. that question. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so the end here seems like on its face that Apple's getting a wrist slap. And then credit to, to Apple being like, nah, I guess. Um, even though I think this will ultimately result in their arrogance being I think they're going to get hit harder as a result of of not giving here. But for example, what you're talking to, Rob, the, the notion of steering, like you can now link people towards where they can sign up. But Apple is still going to take a 27% commission. They can audit your sales. Like the the control they have over that link is just as monopolistic. It is adhering to the letter of the law but not the spirit of the law and is the kind of thing that I think will eventually land Apple in a lot of heat, not maybe coming from the U.S., but, you know, they're about to split off the App Store in the European Union where you'll be able to sideload uh, through through Apple products. Only there, not everywhere else. We're headed um, for a weird world where, like, U.S. law is about to become so Gilded Age dog shit <laughs> in terms of regulatory environment. We're like, we're a huge market, so maybe that will be, like, create the prevailing winds but like you know the word is like the supreme court's about to hand down a decision that's going to gut the ability of like federal regulators to regulate anything um and they're just going to demolish like you know decades and decades of precedent around this stuff and that's great news for people who are like i want to just fuck up the environment (laughs) and do all sorts of like sketchy shit here in the u.s but the problem is like you're gonna end up in this place where it's like in a lot of other major markets, there's going to be rulings where it's like, no, you can't operate that way. You can't, you can't do that. What's it going to mean when, you know, if EU regulators at some point do like crack down and say like Apple is is too monopolistic, you can't operate the, uh, you know, the the App Store this way. You can't you you can't operate uh, iOS stuff this way. What's that going to mean when like, you know, now you just basically have to create like two platforms, one that's like legal compliant in the eu that operates that's what they're doing differently that, that is straight up they are straight up creating a separate app store for the eu isn't that um, how things exist in china already right like they have like a lot of a lot of yeah. companies have like a separate like well we have to do different things uh in china so we're gonna make a whole i guess the reason that feels trickier here in this case is because like China was like its own ecosystem when they were setting all this up and like a lot of like, uh, you know, Chinese like web users like already had platforms and services that they used that like they they didn't overlap overlap with like uh, Europeans and and uh, like, uh, you know, North and South Americans on here. Like, you know, as we see every as we see with our own audience metrics, like. Europe and the Americas kind of one big market in a lot of ways, right? Not, not, you know, not, not in, there's still specifics to, to each market and, uh, you know, things break down around, around like, uh, you know, language barriers as well. But in terms of like cross compatibility and like people all being in those, in the same place, it all feels like that's kind of the, the way the, the stuff online has, has developed Mm -hmm. with like the U S and Europe. 
and it just feels like it will be a little bit weirder if like um oh like ios operates completely different in europe yeah right? i guess it really depends on what the like difference in um like production time versus like how much they're getting out of not doing those regulations where they're not necessary because like think to like the the eu regulations around cookies like every website has that thing on it and it doesn't matter where you are right like they're not they're not even geo geo gating that specifically to people in europe where those are required it's like fuck it we're just putting it on everything um and that's kind of the base best case scenario honestly for people is like the regulations big enough that they just bake it in and it's like fine we'll be uh you know it'll be the same even if even though we're not required technically but you know with these companies because they're big enough odds are that they will just make a branch and just make it fully fully siloed in this weird way um because they don't want to lose out on the money making opportunity otherwise (laughs) and in the meantime anything that's offset is uh everything will be offset by the fact that like you got a green light to just skin users in the u.s (laughs) just absolutely (laughs) like charge your rents call it a day um but who wouldn't be honored to pay rent to find Apple devices? My God, this this phone is a wonder. Uh, I must I so must cool. route everything funny. through this store. I must oh only buy you things through Apple. You didn't even get it for yourself, and yet <laughs> this all coming at this all of this coming at the time that app that Rob is converted to Apple products. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I almost Rob. I didn't send you this for Christmas. I got you something else, but I almost bought you an Apple TV. It was just like because you would have been forced to use it and then realize how how good it is. Oh my god! Oh man! Well, we will uh, we'll, we'll we'll contemplate that world uh, as we take a break here and come back with some of the games we've been playing. Back after this. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What <laughs> changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners, Rob here. You know, 
the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week. And then I'd trawl through the grocery stores, making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And we're back. Uh, so I think just to lead off, there's a little game I want to talk about. Ooh. A little a little thing. As we all know, the greatest first-person shooter ever made was the original Fear. Uh, first Encounter Assault <laughs> oh, Recon. I thought it was Heretic, but, you know, okay, all right, different tastes. No, it was it, it was fear. I think this is this is basically <laughs> look this up in like the encyclopedia. Oh, okay, uh, the book of like games. It says fear. <laughs> yeah, the the best the best the best FPS ever made. Uh, it it was fear. Uh, they never kept bottled. It was bottled was, like they never bottled lightning again, right? Like they made two other fear games. Right, One was three, not by yeah. Monolith. Yeah, and like none of them were ever quite as good. But that original fear game. Uh, it was really, really cool. It was like fast paced, uh, you know, kind of had like a, it was like the aesthetics and in some ways the vibe of a tactical shooter, like rainbow six, but with like matrix like bullet time, uh, and then magic powers and you're fighting monsters. Are you describing control or describing fear? Control, control. There's a lot of fear. That's uh, that's what I was. That's what I was gesturing at. That I I I know they are one's first, one's third, but there's there there are some lines that cross over with those the vibe that those games are operating on for sure. So there's a game people start start to talk about, uh, especially like old fear heads (laughs) have been talking about a game called Trepang Two. Here. Okay, you got to give me a link. Trepang two. Yeah, I don't know what that means. It sounds like trepanning, like but trepang. Oh, I mean, for twenty dollars and nine cents, Rob, how can you pass it up? Love when a love when a sale ends up in a really weird number. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just can't pass it up. You, you you can't pass it up. And this, this does thing- look like fear. The, the specifically the uh, the visual effects for the gunfire. And like the bullet ricocheting has has strong fear vibes. Yeah. And do I think it is like 
as good as fear well fear was kind of like a triple a game for its day right it was it was it was a pretty it was a pretty major game this is not you know the lighting looks really cool so i think it's a really good example of like the way lighting tech can make games look crazy expensive uh and then you get to them and like wow the lighting is doing a lot but like they clearly couldn't generate many models uh you know things are pretty stripped down anyway point is trepang 2 uh you are some sort of lab experiment gone awry at the start of the game you are you are busted out of this like prison for psychics you're kept in rob you will play any explanation you play an escaped soldier who has no memories of their past life but is infused with supernatural abilities revenge is on your mind and you'll stop at nothing to get what you want deliver devastating punches sneak around in the shadows wield explosive weapons and give the bad guys a taste of their own medicine trepang to be the ultimate badass are you being the ultimate badass God, I am. Yeah, before I scroll down, just... before I scroll down, I thought you made that up. <laughs> no, it's from the Steam page. <laughs> That's just right off the dome. You know, I'm just out here. Publishers, just come on, come in. Like I'm ready to deliver you some copy. Yeah, that's all that job is, right? <laughs> in my mind. So this thing, like, uh, it's probably a little faster paced than I ever fear being. But the point is, like, it unfolds at like a breakneck pace uh but like you are fighting like commando dudes it also feels like if you do like land those headshots reliably like you can you can clear rooms pretty fast but the the thing to remember is as you kill dudes you charge up your two major abilities your ability to go into a crisis like uh cloak mode you you turn invisible or and this is really the heart of the game you charge up your bullet time and let me tell you which this game is like we have stealth stuff yeah. <laughs> Only when you haven't charged up your bullet time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let me tell you which of these two elements is more fun uh, than than the other. But uh, it does it, like it does the damn thing of like you are running around breakneck pace uh, in these just like unbelievably like violent and loud combat encounters like this thing is i was like i'm gonna like the neighbors are gonna file a complaint because the room was just like every gunfight is just like deafening in this in this game uh like they were like and you know i love it i love that their their uh, their audio designers were like other games are cowards when it comes to reverb (laughs) like every every gun should sound like you are pointing it into the bottom of an oil drum and just like unloading. Oh my god. <laughs> every the, the, single the Michael gunshot. Mann school of gunshot noises. <laughs> it's so it's so unreal. The the way it all tends to unfold, like it doesn't quite have the vibes of fear. Like it just isn't trying to be a narrative game in that way. It has allusions to it. Like, you know, when you sort of come to all your guards are dead. Something's like ripped them apart. Whoa. Like no human could have done this, <laughs> but that's, oh, and by the way, you know, Patrick, you'll, you'll, you'll be pleased about this. Mm. There's no havoc logo at the start of this game, but the uh-huh. spirit of havoc physics is alive and well here. Oh, wow. The big meat chunks of what used to be your prison guards 
walk over them and you'll be you'll be terrified like the scariest moments in this game have come when like a chunk of torso has wetly like tumbled across across the floor and made like ka-chunk 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 sounds you're like what the fuck is that and it's just it's just these models ricocheting off each other uh, we, uh, we used to be a normal country rob we used to be a normal country and then people figured out accurate physics please Please. Who wants that? I want things cartwheeling through the air. <laughs> so I think uh, the, the the thing it doesn't quite get that fear, the reason fear looms large for a lot of people who played it is that it probably had some of the best shooter AI ever made. And like, like when we used AI in those terms back in those days, <laughs> what we meant was... The routines Box. and scripts and behaviors that these things followed, the smoke and mirrors placed around them were effective enough that you felt like, damn, I'm up against elite commandos because they would do things like shout flank left, flank left, contact right, frag out. And those would usually correspond to guys doing stuff and throwing frag grenades. And you'd be like, damn, they're like coordinating. Like I'm up against, I'm up against the varsity here. <laughs> I got to I got to bring my A game. This this game doesn't quite feel like that to that same extent. Like once you get into a room and get into it with these guys, it's a lot of like run and gun, like run past these dudes, blast their faces off. But blasting those faces off feels pretty good. Not going to lie. Uh, and there are the, the moment the game probably really won me over. And this stuff is like knife edge when it comes to like balancing for it. So the end of the first level. You're escaping this prison and you get to like the final area before you can you can escape. And the whole prison has been like assembled from cinder block walls and like lots of crates, <laughs> lots of crates everywhere. Lots of like little assets of generic looking tools on shelves. Uh, you end up in a big like encounter space around that, like some sort of storage warehouse that is ringed by freight elevators. And you've already been conditioned earlier in the game that like the freight elevators tend to disgorge new squads of troops. You go into this room, you fight the guys who are there. And then basically what you're going to do is you're going to fight waves of guys coming off these freight elevators. And it's just this side of like too much, right? Like <laughs> you're like, surely, surely they're not going to do a third wave like I killed because really it's the fourth wave. I killed the guys here and then two waves that come off the elevator. Surely we're done. And it's like, send in squad three. You got to bring subject. One. And I'm like, well, shit, I guess. All right. I guess they're serving up. I guess we're getting another serving. And then you like kill squad three and you get like the reserve squad gets on the radio. Sir, all the squads are dead. We're, we're all that's left. What should we do? And I'm like, Surely not come in here. Like surely this is the end of the level. <laughs> and instead, the the man says, "I'm all right. All of you with me. I'm leading this assault myself." And at this point, I've depleted all the health in the room because this is a health pickups game. This mm -hmm. is a like you're not Ooh. you're not like spamming med pit, med kits. No, you're like looking around the room and like there's a health kit behind that guy with a shotgun and if I can kill him before he shoots that shotgun at me I will net I will net yeah. be healed uh -huh. but if I uh -huh. get tagged by that shotgun I might die or that health kit's just gonna be wasted replacing the, the lost hit points anyway so like this last wave comes off 
And I realize that somewhere in all the chaos, I picked up a armload of grenades. And so the last elevator opens up and like, there's a bunch of dudes who are tagged like special enemies in here. And I just like fling all my grenades at the ground. And so it has a brief moment of like identifying who your target is. Like, oh man, like uh, the the mercenary, the Talon 6 commander is here. And no sooner has it brought that legend up than like the grenades go. And bodies are flying everywhere. It's got little pressure wave effects that you remember from fear where like the the whole world just seems to like kind of uh, flex from the force of these explosions. And immediately it's like, okay, well, that guy's just dead. Uh, That subject is terminated. Good work. (laughs) But out of that explosion walks this one dude who's like the shotgun heavy guy. And this game, this is its approach to game balance. Other games (laughs) might be like, yeah, this guy's got a little extra armor. You'll have to shoot him a bit more. Not this game. This game's like, this guy's basically, this guy's basically RoboCop. He's basically a tank. Like you can't, you you can't kill him. You just have to keep. So uh, like, you end up playing hide and seek with this guy because, of course, he's got a shotgun. You never get more fu- more than five shots for your shotgun. They very they they very like much ration how much like big shotgun you get. This guy can just blast away. So you end up like playing ring around the rosy, uh, trying to t- like tag headshots on this guy. And eventually, after like you know five minutes of fighting this guy, he eventually drops and it's like the cyber demon in doom. Cause it's like, it, you know, you, you, you've left everything out there. The room has now got no resources left in it. And it's like, if I died, I think, and I've had to re had to replay that entire section. I would have been, I'd be here like fuck Trepang too. You're no fear. <laughs> but it's a game that tends to end up on just the right side of like, you know, the thing you don't want is a lot of shooters. Sometimes you're like, this is a really good gunfight. And then it's over. And you were just getting into it. You were like, you know, I could have machine gunned like another 20 or 30 people. <laughs> <laughs> and they just don't let you machine gun those people. Mm. But Trepang is like, hey, you still got like 200 rounds of ammo. <laughs> don't you wish there were some, don't you wish there were some mercenaries you could pump those into? I was like, hell yeah, I do. And it just, it just gifts you with them. Oh my God. What, what a kindness this game has given you, Rob. It's, it's so weird. It's like, it is it, like on the one hand, like the lighting is, is good. The, the sound effects, the, it, it's, it's all really cool. And the, on the other hand, man, it feels like a mod team, like just sort of bash this together. And like, everyone's wearing balaclavas. There's no faces. Uh, the voice acting is like serviceable, but like, it feels like it might all be the same dude. Mm-hmm. Just like doing different voices. Uh, and, and yet I'm like the people who are like, Hey, there's a, there's a game that has, it's got that bit. Of, it's got that fear in it. They ain't lying. The pain <laughs> too is like, it feels closer to fear than just about anything I've played since. Uh, and it's been, it's been nice returning to that vibe. Uh, this, I, was reading through the Steam page, and I, I have to read the first helpful review that's at the top of the page from user Hot Sloppy Tuna. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's probably the funnest shooter I've ever played. Unfortunately, I'm 51 and don't have the reflexes required to play it well, but it is fun as hell. I can't beat the last boss on normal, but I'm trying. Hot Sloppy Tuna. <laughs> <Shout outs. laughs> I'm out here rooting for you. That was written on December 26th. It's almost a month hours. from then. 
I know you're 51. Don't drop that difficulty. Get to the <laughs> other side, hot sloppy tuna. You can do it. Oh, hey, uh, Tux writes, and I've, you know, these are mechanics I should have mentioned. I just haven't done as much with them as I, as, as I could. You can kick a dude into a wall, pick him up, pull the pin of a grenade strapped to his plate carrier, and then yeet him across the damn room at a bunch of enemies like it's Wii Sports Bowling. This game is heart, 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 baller. Oh, that's, that's uh, Rob, Steam's, yeah. That's fucking, yeah. that's fucking, it's fucking baller. Yeah, I know. I need to watch. Rob, you're going to have to play this game. Like, you this you have signed yourself up for a stream. Uh, for it's dude, it's a motion sickness generator. Like, it is, it, like, it is so I'll fast. I'll pop some pills before we get going. I'm ready to ride with Rob. <laughs> I suspect the reason that, uh, that Hot Wet Tuna was that? <laughs> <laughs> Not wet. Hot, hot sloppy, sloppy. Well, I assume the tuna sloppy. might be yeah. wet as a result of being, like, sloppy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, I think one of the reasons hot Talk sloppy dirty tuna, to me, Rob. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons hot sloppy tuna might be struggling, I, like I'm not sure. There, like I also am. Like I think my reflexes might have declined since I was like 22 years old and playing Fear. Hmm. I, there's definitely a part of that where it's like I might not be the man I was, but there's also a bit of. It's been a while since I played a game where like you flick your wrist and your character spins around three times because like it is so your character is just so agile nah, and look. so nimble <laughs> and like you know and, and by the way like Kato there's no I was there's no say, ADS here where, oh, where's there's the- yeah we're not we're not messing around with ADS we're not like shit look like, obviously you should probably dial in your sensitivity settings however you like but this is not a game where it's like hey. Like get tuned to like really make those those like delicate shots. No, this is a run in there. Like as soon as like you you, you sort of breathe in a direction, your character would spin in that direction, like kill kill a dude. Is so there I a reticle? That- I'm just noticing that none of the like. There's a reticle. Okay, okay. Was- <laughs> There's a reticle. Uh, but again, like again, speaking of the the awesome mod vibes, um, when they're teaching you the stealth system, they're like, when you're in stealth. A gray reticle will appear on the screen, letting you know uh, that you're in stealth. It is a pixel wide. It is a <laughs> it is a single ghostly gray pixel. Oh no! Uh, and that is that appears to be your sort of stealth indicator uh, that that you are getting. Uh, stealth meters do pop up when when people are detecting you, like in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. But uh, the stealth sequences are like it's the one thing I'm like. I don't fully know why you did this. The only yeah. thing I can think is that they really like those bits in Crisis, which fair <laughs> Crisis, like that middle third where they're like turning you loose in the big world with the Crisis suit, fucking awesome. Uh, but that's not Trapang too. It's not. It's not. It's gift. Uh, so I think. Uh, so I think we've been saying Trapang too, but it's Trapang squared, isn't it? I was I was searching <laughs> to see if we could find a Trapang. <laughs> One anywhere, and this is the first Trapang. They could still name it too, though, right? Like, I guess to- so. It's just like in the no, in- but you're right. It, it, the, the you're right so on the Trapang title card. Trapang? It's styled as squared. <laughs> yeah, but then in their when they type it out, it's Trapang too. They didn't figure no, out when they super type it out, the two. Does, does, the does, two does, is slightly higher than the Trapang, though. Yeah. Do you notice that? Like, it's slightly. It's like a yeah. pixel oh, it's, higher. It's like a little. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's like, but it's not really superscript. False. <laughs> no, it's not. False. <laughs> I'm going to say Trapang 2 because 
I want you to look that game up. <laughs> That's fair. That's that works. I think if you just search Topang game, you're probably good because I don't think everyone's ever used until that one. until the world catches Trepang Two Fever <laughs> and you get all the ripoffs that are like Trepang Origins. Yeah, and it's like this is this is not a Trepang game. What does Trepang even mean? Is that a- I was literally <laughs> looking that up. I'm like, because I was going to ask, like, are there two Trepangs? Like, is it? But then I'm like, is Trepang something that I should know? And I don't want to, like, reveal that. Trepanging is the act of collection or harvesting of sea cucumbers, known in <laughs> Indonesian as Trepang. Huh. I can't the collector or fisher that. is a Trepanger. So you're collect you're out here collecting bodies. Like <laughs> you're cucumbers, the, yeah. yeah. But uh, like Kato, I will. I think it might also have something to do with tray panning, um, which is the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did they trepanation, try? Yeah. Did they did they try to go trepan and bang like a gun? Trepang. Oh, maybe. Because. That- <laughs> uh, let me tell you, you know you're you're in a facility that's up to no good because you find email logs oh. titled things like subject 105 brain transplant results. So like, wow, you know, they're doing something with brains. <laughs> Spooky. Yeah, it's 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 an evil military science facility. I love the similar to games I've played because I don't have a lot of shooters in my steam so the only games it pulled for similar to games you played for me is system shock remake and half-life alex which i don't think (laughs) how true is that that doesn't quite no that's funny (laughs) it pulled resident evil village for me that's not i don't know it's the gore baby like right (laughs) no that's that's definitely not right system shock remake i can kind of see it's it's it's, it gets pretty fast yeah but you're not really encouraged to play it the way you play Trepang 2. Right. Like, it doesn't seem like you are from the, the quick glance. Is this like time with a, Shock. a nicer looking boomer shooter? Is this what this is essentially? No. <laughs> just later in, I mean, Kato, it's just later in the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it is definitely 100%. falls on. Like I'm a boomer shooter. Just kept going in chronological order. Right, right. If Fear is in that, kept- like is is on is 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 there. Yeah. Like no, it's forever like, young. No, monolith <laughs> made sh- monolith made Shogo. Like come on, like we have a direct line back to oh. to those games. <laughs> All right. Well, now that I'm thoroughly washed, uh, Rob just found his Rob just found his boomer shooter and is, uh, is coming to. Rob's coming like, to no, it. this can't be a boomer shooter because I like it. <laughs> I'm a young man. Yeah, <laughs> youth are like oh, getting to get the hair on the pulse here. Trepang oh squared. God. God, connecting connecting with the kids over. Uh, hey, you hear they made a new game that's like Fear. <laughs> exactly. No, this uh, is like how people are getting into the Wii, and they're like retro gaming is hot again. And I'm like, oh my god, oh, no. Uh, Patrick, I'm actually curious about Home Safety Hotline, though. Yeah, oh oh, I'm so interested. I did. In this. I finished it. Oh, um, so, so Home Safety Hotline is a game that we saw in like one of the 
Yeah. One of the showcases we, we yeah. watched. It was like you're the, uh, this is the ADT Dispatch Center game, right? It's, but it's like yeah. evil. It was Day of the Devs, I think, that we saw it at, maybe, or in that era. Yeah, I believe the Day of the Devs might, might be right. So I'm going to give the... I'm going to do a... Uh, I'm not going to spoil everything that happens, but there's a little bit of premise that I think if you... I'm going to give away the basic premise, and then I'll talk a little about what happens after. And if you find the basic premise interesting, skip it and go check it out for yourself. But yes, you are... Home Safety Hotline, which is available on PC, uh, is a game where you are in a call center where people are leaving voicemails uh, about problems in their home. Like, I'm hearing like a chirp, chirp, chirp in the walls. And you have access to a database that gives you descriptions and uh, remedies for how that is handled. And the way that starts is bats, mice, Mm. cockroaches. Mm -hmm. Um, And the descriptions you're getting are akin to that. And then the descriptions start getting a little bit stranger, um, a little more supernatural. And the remedies for that are a little stranger. Um, broadly, what you're doing is just solving a, like a basic sort of like <laughs> linguistic puzzle is just like, hey, this is the problem. What is what is the thing that overlaps with that? And then you just click a button. It's like send information. Uh, and you're not actually telling them do X, do Y. You're, so, you're sort of sending over a, a PDF document. Yeah. Um, although the aesthetics are of like 90s computers, so CRTs and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think you're sending probably sending over paperwork as opposed to a PDF. Um, uh, broadly speaking, I like the first half of this game and then it sort of runs out of ideas mm. and it's just kind of running through the the basic concept, though the – what sounds cool sounds less cool, even though it's only three hours long. I think it's totally worthwhile. Um, I, I think the ending is really neat and interesting, even though it involves my kryptonite, which is riddles. And I hate riddles. <laughs> I cannot solve them. But you like puzzles. I don't like riddles. Those are different. Those are, that's a specific time, <laughs> oh, type of puzzle. Wait, no. so you like puzzles, but you're bad at them, right? That's a self-report. I'm not projecting my it is, opinion yes. on your okay. Yes, 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 yes. Just, you, know, as I've, you know, like a game like Cocoon or a Viewfinder yeah. hits my brain right, and then there are lots of games like The Witness that is don't. It co- it's is it because like, a riddle is a puzzle in disguise? Is that what you don't like about it? It's too cool. Riddles make me feel stupid. Like, I just can't do them. Like, doesn't matter how basic it is. Like, I just look I at it and I, go. I, I messed up the lives of P Riddle. It was like the first one. I was like, this part of the game is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, uh, what has two feet? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> a? What walks on four legs at dawn? And uh, yeah. Uh, I, like, yeah. I just look them up. Can't do it. Like, riddles ain't happening. Like, it's that's a that's a game guide for me. Thank you very much. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, but the writing in here is exceptionally strong. Uh, the, uh, the discoveries that happen along the way are really fun. Uh, on one hand, I want to recommend to people that, hey, maybe play – the game is broken up into uh, different days. Like this is Monday. This is Tuesday. And you kind of play through a week um, at this call center. Um, what, but I would want to tell people, well, maybe just play this in smaller chunks and the repetition won't hit as hard because what I did was play it in like two 90-minute chunks and the repetition really started kind of uh, grading against me as I just wanted to see – What's the conclusion to all this? Um, and the issue that I have is m- my memory also 
not so good. And so if you have a brain <laughs> that could say, read through a bunch of descriptions and then broadly retain that without having to reread all of them the next mm. day, you might be able to to play this game at a pace that I think will grate less on you over its three three uh, kind of three-ish hour runtime because it's broken up into very nice and discreet chunks. It's a, you finish Tuesday, you could put the game down and not touch it until, you know, the next day. Um, but I, like, I, I am always having to reread everything. That's, there's reason I have, like, tons of reminders. I take, like, really close notes. Like, I just, my brain doesn't retain information in that way. And so um, I, I found that I had to play it kind of in a shotgun approach. And it sort of ended up uh, kind of exaggerating some of the, like, inherent flaws in the concepts, lack of, sort of uniqueness as you as you go through it all that said if any of that appeals to you go play it Mm -hmm, uh because now mm -hmm, i want to now i want to switch over to the other side which is to share a couple of like where it gets weird and like why the writing is is so fantastic so for example let me pull up oh where did it go here oh here it is um so you have like oh this one not oh here we go a false artifact. So you get, you have this description. So again, like it starts as like cockroach, starts as as like bees, and then you start getting into just wilder and wilder um, sort of concepts. Um, like this is a really good early one that you get. Bed teeth. Bed <laughs> teeth are a rare kind of household fungus known for growing in small cone-like shapes on the underside of bed sheets, blankets, or comforters. Homeowners infested with bed teeth often report. Mild discomforts while sleeping, such as tickling or itching, and more rarely, slimy acidic residue on their skin. Danger. Bed teeth are not directly harmful to most humans, given their brief sleeping schedules. However, they tend to gradually grow sharper over time if left untreated, which can lead to infections and the open wounds they cause. To prevent growth of bad teeth, bed sheets and blankets should be washed regularly and inspected for rare, more persistent growths. Infested covers should be scrubbed thoroughly or disposed of entirely. Um, and that is like a very basic, basic, basic level one. They get far, far more insidious and, and upsetting. Um, like what is, let's see, what is a good one? Uh, yeah. False artifact. False artifacts are seemingly human designed objects that can manifest suddenly inside a home. They're known for making gentle buzzing sounds that I can usually only can usually only be heard by very young human children or small animals. Homeowners with false artifacts often report out-of-place objects or missing children or pets. False artifacts, <laughs> while not a direct threat to adult humans, can pose a significant risk to small children and animals. Should a child or pet be left alone with a false artifact, they are at risk of becoming encased within. Once encased, no noise made by the prey can be heard. While digestion can take upwards of several years to complete, starvation can be a more pressing concern. Once a false (laughs) artifact has been identified, removal is as simple as physically removing the object out of one's home. Home safety hotline pest removal services should be called to come and remove the object. Should a pet or loved one already be encased within, one can utilize a memory wisp to speed up the grieving process. Uh, A memory wisp (laughs) is basically just, yo... Uh, <laughs> you could forget that you had a child. Um, oh, and so that ends up getting paired with like a woman calling in asking like, my child has disappeared. Um, I put them to bed. And the last thing I remember doing 
is uh, checking the closet because they always claim they can hear buzzing sounds in there. Mm. And then that becomes the clue that tells you, oh, uh, you know, you read through kind of like matching terms or descriptions, the gesture in that direction. And that's a lot of the a lot of the game is you solve that. Then you kind of read through the other descriptions, maybe ones you haven't gotten to yet because it unlocks more as the game goes along. Um, And uh, like that's kind of the escalation, like things get stranger and stranger or you get uh, lots of different types of types of of things like a gnome or a troll. And like they kind of overlap in interesting ways. Um, There was one last one I wanted to read. I don't it looks like it didn't upload while you uh, look for that. Two things. One, yes. um, the artifact you described sounded exactly like Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> 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 Throwing that out there. And then w- the other one is a question. Um, and you've kind of like hinted at it, but I just want to get a little more clarity. Mm-hmm. Like, is there like a fail condition? Is there like a built-in check where like, could I provide the wrong information and progress the game? Or is You it, can. Like- so you can provide wrong information. I do not think it prevents you from progressing in the game um you will get people that call back and go hey man (laughs) shit's still fucked up here i don't i don't think what you told me was correct and you have a supervisor that is either giving you praise or being like hey could you try and be a little more thoughtful when you send out you know these yeah we're getting a lot of complaints about you but it you always seem to progress through the game and there's not really a there's not a game over i do believe the um there's a final thing that happens in, in the game that is sort of a culmination of the information you've been gathering and internalizing over the course of uh, playing Home Safety Hotline. And that can split in different directions based on your accuracy, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually wild that I managed to get the quote unquote good ending over a series of I was just guessing at a certain point I was like, fuck it. I don't know what you I don't know what you're asking, man. And I don't want I don't want to think about it anymore. I hate riddles. There's no guide for this right now. But I still managed to get the quote good ending. But so sometimes you'll get the call-ins that are a pretty straightforward. It's like an upset uh like mother or it's someone just complaining about some noises. And, and you get really good ones like this. Uh this is Hank. Uh Hank, and it's all voice acted. The voice acting's pretty good. Um, Hank here. That's strike two with you people. First, you tell me there's nothing. Then you send me the wrong information. I did what your info package said to do, and now there's more. Even there's even more critters in my yard. They're all they're all staring at me now. They want they want me to climb inside the tunnel. I must I must go inside. <laughs> I must pay for my sins. Um, and you get, you get good shit like that. Uh, and I like this one. From it's kind of like all, all I want to share of, cause like so much of the game is the writing, right? Sure. So if, um, oh, what is this one that, that, this uh, is from the steam. It's on the steam, uh, uh-huh, page. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. caller, right. caller, Dan, it wasn't Bob from accounting. It wasn't Bob at all. I saw it scurry away. Why didn't you warn me? What is this nonsense info you sent me? Why is it growing? Get away <laughs> bigger. Get away. Stay back. Um, so you get based on the game is always progressing but it's just very funny (laughs) but the information like the conclusions to little stories that are carrying out between callers diverge based on whether you give them sometimes you give them accurate quote unquote accurate information but you have to take it a step further based on new details that they send you Um, and sometimes you give them inaccurate information and it is 
it is abundantly clear that you have sent them to their death. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a creepy game. It's very fun. Um, hopefully I'll have more to share on this sometime next week. But what's really fascinating about the game is it has um, a whole section about phobias. So this is a game explicitly about fear. Um, and there's, yeah. there's no, there's, there is some video, there's some video clips that, but like broadly, this is a game about like static screenshots and descriptions, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, like in the Microsoft and Obsidian game Grounded, where there is an, an, acro- uh, 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 you know, a phobia mode for, for spiders, uh, in which you can, re- you can turn the spiders into just like blobs. The spiders are still there, but they aren't visually represented as spiders anymore, um, but that's not a game about being it, like this is a horror game, um, even though it's like largely text based. Uh, and I want to pull up. I'm just waiting for the the game to finish loading here. Uh, here we go. Oh, the um, the list of which ones? I I it's on the Steam. I I put it in the Discord. Oh, okay. I think I actually have it here too. Yeah. So you have uh, phobia toggles disables in game photos of phobia triggering material. Note does not affect descriptions, audio, or video. And uh, by audio, there are samples of the different creatures or phenomenon. So you have to click it yourself. It's, you know, if you, if, what, if, if the image isn't there, but the description unnerves you, maybe don't click on the audio, but you're not forced to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And all the video clips are optional. There's something that appear on like a desktop in the game and you have to click on them, but they are not required to make any progress. But yeah, they have, uh, arachnophobia, uh, well, obviously fear of spiders, uh, entomo, uh, Entomophobia, fear of insects. Nyctophobia, fear of dark. Tripophobia, fear of holes. Scropophobia, fear of being watched. Claustrophobia, fear of tight spaces. And cynophobia, fear of dogs. Um, And so you can flick that stuff on and it'll adjust the game a little bit. I just think it's fascinating that uh, usually games around fear don't then take into account people that have a specific phobia. It just sort of comes with the territory that hey, you're here, we expect you wanted to get scared. So mm. we're not necessarily mm. going to bend in the direction of, of folks that might have a specific uh, fear. So I've sent the developers some questions and hopefully we'll have something on Remap next week that kind of digs into that. But uh, yeah, Home Safety Hotline. I Really neat, little fun, tidy experience, highly recommended. Uh, just kind of something... Wholly unique. Maybe you want to go back, so we should, we should go find some demons, Kato. You know, I said we'd go back, and <laughs> oh, we haven't. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of these days, we'll we'll go exercise a demon from a body. Uh, Janet, what have you been playing lately? Um, I finished Alan Wake two. Ooh. Um, I platinum put the spoiler thing on the, on the calendar. Yeah, we, we should talk about doing yeah. a spoiler yes. cast sometime yes. in the next. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm happy to hold. I got other things. I've been. I was run through them. So I I finally finished Alan Wake two. Um, I platinumed Prince of Persia and I started Persona 5 Royal and House Slipper 2. So I can go and hey, kind of. I, I have a question huh. about the platinum of Prince of Persia. Yeah. So uh, I believe I saw in your comments about platinum it that you were frustrated at the games. This is a game that's like very yeah. accessible, has great on ramps, um, understands uh, the friction points in Metroid style games and <clears throat> how to get people to appreciate what's interesting about them. But something that really frustrated me, or sounds like it frustrated you, and I think would then frustrate me, is when you want to do the cleanup, when you want to see everything the game has, get that percentage meter up, there are certain things that were difficult for you to do that part of the game uh, once you sort of finish the story. 
Yeah. Um, namely, and not, you know, I don't know if they're going to, I'm like, can, I wish they could just patch this because mm-hmm. it's like a little annoying. Um, but basically the platinum is just kind of completing the game minus like, you don't have to get all the chests technically. Cause some of the chests just have like gems in them, like the in-game currency, but some of the just chests have like amulets or, um, you know, something that's, in line with the platinum run, which like the platinum includes like getting all of the amulets, up, getting all the amulet slots, um, finding all of is, the sand jars. Is platinum different than 100 percent? It is actually slightly lower than the 100 percent for that reason, because okay. Okay. to 100 percent, you'd have to like open every chest. And like, as I mentioned earlier, like some chests have like just currency. So technically you don't need to open every chest to get the platinum. Um, but for the mo- and also, oh, my gosh, there was I had such a funny moment where. I should, I think I have the video of this that I should post somewhere on socials, but I had what for me was the hardest platforming section of the game. Like I was pursuing, and I tried to do a lot of it without a guide. And then I went back to a guide, which I'll get into my frustrations of it in a second. But this was a funny part of trying to do it without the guide. I'm like, well, let me just try to get as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And when I need to, I will see who has actually finished making a guide for this game. Cause I was doing this like the night early access dropped or something. Um, and there was a section, it was so tough. I spent so long on it. Like, I swear I must've been in there for half an hour. I had to turn the game off, come back the next day. I'm like, with fresher eyes, I can do it. Hell yeah. I even got the, um, I ended up, uh, from Greg, I had gotten the dual sense edge and I'm like, maybe with the back paddles, I can like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Didn't abuse you are in a dark place where in a, in a, a, a platforming game, maybe the back pedals of an yeah. elite controller are going to get me through this. Just over that broken. little bit I need. I just need a little bit more. I'm like, yeah, I got to like do the claw. It's too much. I didn't end up using the edge to get this, but I, it was so funny because I finished it. I was like, oh my God. Oh, that was so tough. Like, it was so tough that, like, I recorded it, and then I made my partner watch it. I'm like, I know that this is boring, but I need you to look at this and see what I've accomplished. She's like, yeah, like, that was really good. I was like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I get to the top. I open a chest. A freaking pair of pants. I was screaming internally because you don't need the cosmetics to platinum it either. So I'm like, I did this for nothing. I mean, I had, I guess, fun doing it, <laughs> supposedly, but... Um, so that was a hilarious moment for myself, but yeah. So like, again, the chest sometimes have things that you don't need for the platinum. The friction point was, I think, two main things. One, uh, as we talked about, I think last episode, the lack of fast travel points in the game. There are a few, but there are not, there are way more safe points than fast travel points. And that the demand for tree travel is growing. Yes. Janet, the like people are on their tables. There. They are pound. They are pounding. It feels like the kind of thing, though, that gets passion in three months when I'm done I with the game. I hope so. So, like somebody can enjoy. Cause I'm like Ubisoft. I know someone there is reading my tweets, right? I'm like, well, make it happen. Too, also, the game's too smart, right? Like it's it is clearly a game that is reflective of people that, like like I said, that understand the friction points. And I fully expect, right? Rather, I say, I would be surprised if this game at some point didn't have a patch that introduced that or something that made the fast travel uh, more seamless for a a map that is this big. It's an enormous map and the fast travel points are not reflective of the size of of the map. And so I hope someone that plays this game, like you said, waits for Black Friday. I hope that's there for you because you'll have a better experience than Janet or I did. (laughs) Not to mention the fast travel points are only fast travel point to fast travel point. So not only is it like, it's like, okay, where's the nearest one? So then I can get to another area. Um, The other pain was 
not having a sense of like what amulets I got. So when I eventually did turn to a guide and I was, you know, um, for a couple things, one of them being like getting all the amulets because I was missing like one, but also I had to hand count them out. Like I had to look at like a guide that listed them and then look back in the UI. And these are all things that are like, well, for people who don't get platinums, they're like, this is exactly why I don't do this. Like it sounds yep. <laughs> unenjoyable. Spe- you're, spe- you're speaking to me. Does, does the yes. game eventually map, put everything on the map? Like everything that you have to, fuck. Like, and that's fuck. why. So the issue becomes like, Come on. Make it up, right? Like, let's say there's um, a two dozen amulets or something. And I hand count out like against literally I was in my notion like I have this one. I have this one. And I found, oh OK, I'm missing one. Cool. The name is like, I don't know, the glory amulet. That's not the name of it, but whatever. Right. I don't know. The amulet of strength. Right. I'm like, cool. Um, OK, now I'm looking at a guide and shout out to people who make guides on YouTube, because I think YouTube guide content for me, like I use written guides as well. Um, and that's my preferred because I can skim and kind of whatever. But when written guides fail me, no offense to everyone that's worked on written guides for this game. The YouTube one always, always holds it down. Quick no commentary, <laughs> time stamped, like shout out to people on, uh, you know, I subscribed if I used your YouTube thing, I don't remember your name, but I subscribed to like two channels for the culture of you helped me get this thing. So then I was scrubbing through YouTube, having to then m- go back to my memory, like, I think I, I walked over this spike and opened this chest to, to figure out what's the one I didn't open. And then and then I marked on my map with like the labels, like these are three chests I think I maybe didn't open yet. And then I went back to those places sometimes to find, oh, actually, no, I opened this chest. Okay, cool. And then you, and that didn't actually take me as long as it sounds like it did, but just the pain point of having that experience with a couple of those collectibles mm. was really the L of the platinum. But I will say as far as like, you know, speaking to why I pursued it or what's the value, like I do really love the game and it was really fun to get to just finally see the rest of the bit through and kind of do some of those, you know, like side platforming challenges and like just get to have more fun in the game. So I did in like, I enjoyed the gameplay and that's what made me turn to get the platinum. But admittedly, you know, it's funny because it's like the what the difficulty rating is like a four out of 10, according to like PSN trophies. But I'm like, it's a four out of 10. But to me, it was like a seven out of 10. <laughs> it's like a little more than I wanted to do. If there's too much friction, I kind of just skip it entirely. But this was like attainable, but like a little annoying. So I don't know, maybe one day they will um, update that. They do have some cool tracking things with like you can put an amulet on that like makes a sound when you're near a no, chest. But boo. again, no. When I get to the end of one of these games, yeah, give me the vendor and I gave him ten thousand crystals. It's like, That's hey, too. I was so rich <laughs> in this game at a certain point. Like, is it money? Is it real life money? I'll give you money. Like, you well, know, just, it, because um, it, it betrays the intelligence that I see in the rest of the yes. game, which is a recognition of how do people actually play these games? Do you really think at once the story is completed and people are going back through the map, they are equipping some fucking bird that's going to chirp, chirp, chirp and tell them where the secrets are. And again, this map is enormous. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it is huge. And I, I, I enjoy that. I'm I, but I, I am not equipping a bird that's going to chirp when I go, I'm going to look up a guide. And then what you're saying to the player is, we think the way you should play this game, that as an otherwise detailed and intuitive map, 
is to have a video. You're not supporting content creation. I mean, like, don't give me that. Like, you like, like you are in a way, but by creating a free... Like, people will still use guides. Yeah, even people will if use guides. your mapping system makes it for someone like me. It's like, just show me where all... Just show me where the shiny things are so that I can do exactly what you're talking about. Because for me, in these games in particular, it's as someone that cares very little about a platinum... But I want to go to that platforming sequence. And I know mm-hmm. getting to that tr- that treasure chest is going to have a cool sequence along the way. So the idea that I need to then hold up a grid over my TV to figure out how to get to that is – it's really frustrating and, and frankly disappointing for a game that so artfully understands its genre and how players interact with it otherwise. Because that is just one of those friction points that some of the smarter games have – gate it behind something like uh, fine like make it expensive and the player i just but allow players to go can you just kind of put the guide layer on here for me so i can find everything i think too like again it has a guided mode that isn't right right you know like there's so many uh, no it understands (laughs) like like. um they're like this would be too i don't know it's it's also funny because i mean you could argue based on your own player sensibilities different games will be appealing from a completionist sense to different people the way like we all have different tastes in games but at the same time it feels like the metroidvania style game is such a like completionist fun game you know like one of the like the whole you know i was having this conversation earlier about like what is a metroidvania and like what do you count as it you know with my boyfriend who just finished chicory a game that has like metroidvania vibes and he's like would you call that a metroidvania and i said no because the carrot on the stick isn't getting the abilities like you happen to get abilities and if someone like i'm not gonna fight people over like you can't call it that but you know i wouldn't put it on a list of best metroidvanias because the carrot on the stick is not the abilities it's like exploring and painting and like solving little puzzles here like this is such a metroidvania metroidvania right where like i am excited about what my next ability is and i chase Mm -hmm. that high and i feel like a game where you're chasing things is such a appealing completionist kind of game and even like with getting the platinum like because i'm sick i'm like oh man sitting there at like 98 what if we just went a little further and it's just (laughs) it's frustrating that the game doesn't again to your point patrick and we kind of saying the same thing here but like doesn't facilitate that more you know why am i force killing myself in spikes to avoid re that's the thing too there's hard platforming sections in this game and when you're going through it for the completionist run it was fun to do the hard platforming the first time because it was new and it was fresh and I and I was excited and I felt really good. I know I'm good enough to do it. So now I just have to redo it because I can't traverse the other way. You know, so I'm right. like, okay, I'm just going to die over and over again until they zoot me back to the last save or fast travel point. Hopefully I didn't overwrite yeah, time it. To jump this, and it's not even like jump the spikes once. It's like, oh, oh, I have a shitload of health. Time to jump these spikes 14 times before and I get sent And if back. you equipped, uh, and then again, one of the things is getting all the health. So it's like, okay, I'm really buffed up. You can only equip the amulets at the tree, which I think is fair because yep. I get they don't want you to like, whatever. But then it's like, okay, I'm like the most powerful person in the universe. And I'm like, just trying <laughs> All I want to do is die. <laughs> I'm just longing for death, you know? It's very God of War in that way. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean- I don't I did it. It's like, do I recommend it? I mean, I think if you had fun with the game, like you can do it and it's fine. But I wish that it was like better, you know, like more. Yeah. Um, I wish there was less friction in pursuing it, but whatever. I did it. And now 
there's a little icon on my screen. Whatever, this is dumb, but like all of it's dumb, right? <laughs> like you can't come for me saying my trophies are stupid because the whole thing we're doing is stupid. So it's like, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm, let's not look mm-hmm. too closely at any of these things. All right, shall we dip into just a couple quick questions? Yeah. All right, uh, let's see here. Uh, Waz writes, Dear Mappers, I'm doing my annual, going through all the documents, papers, and manuals I have sitting in my file cabinet. Going through the manuals and realizing I probably do not need to keep the air fryer manual or the warranty card on my shredder got me thinking about what manuals are worth keeping and which ones should just be tossed immediately. At one point in time, I told myself that I would do the heroic task of finding online the manual or scanning it and just storing it away inside a cloud drive. That way, when I do eventually need it, I have it ready. But let's be real. Even though this may take, might take five to ten minutes, I just am not going to do that. So what do you do with your various random manuals you get? Question all ahead of this. Did anyone have a friend? I had one friend in college that did this where they took their money from their parents to go buy their college textbooks, scanned them, and then returned them the next day. And Ooh. then just used the PDFs to, <laughs> oh, man. to, to do all their classes. Evil. <laughs> only did it once. Only did it once. And because they it took them like the better part of a week to, you know, like uh, or like a week of hours, like over the course of like uh, 48 hours to scan it, but never. It's never weird. The textbook either. industry is evil, but also like good textbooks do require a lot of like editing mm-hmm. and labor mm-hmm. to upkeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also I remember uh, we had a all our textbooks we bought through a it wasn't a university bookstore. It was like but it was a semi-official bookstore. It was a place called Conkey's. They'd been in business for a century. They went under while I was there because <laughs> oh, this was no. like peak Amazon. This was like yeah. Amazon sort of rolling in. Uh, but it had like students hated them. And I remember once I was talking to a woman uh, I went to school with and she worked at Conkey. She really liked it there. It was a family-run bookstore. Uh, she she loved it. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, buy, I don't go to Conkey's. So I, you know, go to Barnes and Nobles or whatever. And she was like, is it the textbooks? And I was like, yeah, kind of. I kind of feel like I kind of feel like y'all were were screwing me over every semester. And she's like, we're not. Like those things were as cheap as we could make them. We just can't. Like we can't. Like do uh, we couldn't compete with Amazon, uh, but. Yeah, it was it was a constant like the process of feeling that we could only buy from Conkeys and only sell back to Conkeys like mm. drove people drove people wild. I think if scanning had been fast, people would have scanned. Uh, I feel like there was an effort to get a university professor in trouble because he was like using too many PDFs uh, for his course readers as opposed to like pointing people toward like buying the textbooks that some of the stuff came from or like the journal subscriptions, but either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, manuals. I'm the wrong person to ask. I currently have <laughs> like my office <laughs> is just full of shit right now because like we started, <laughs> we started cleaning other parts of the home and that just created more mess that had mm-hmm. to be moved out of the way of the places we were cleaning. And a lot of the stuff was like manuals and paperwork and documentation for things that like is probably most relevant to me or it's like, you know, electronics or office equipment adjacent. So like there's just like piles of this stuff in my office right now. And I need to sort through it. And I know in my heart what I should do is just get a big, strong trash bag. Mm hmm. 
dump all of that straight in and walk away. Yeah. And yet I'm sitting there being like, but what if at some point I need to look up something about this, this NAS I bought? And like, I but don't if know. you need to look it up, would you be able to even find it, Rob? He I would. He would. <laughs> We're not talking about an like a, a, an ancient object. We're talking about something that Rob bought. Well, and also, <laughs> how many of these things are even proper manuals at this point? Like, usually, what falls out of the box is a quick start guide written in like twelve different yeah. languages that has the same diagram of plug goes into socket. Please Remote, go to this website if you have any questions. Yes. <laughs> so, like, it's not even like the real manuals, and yet. I am just like surrounded by this stuff. I'm like Scrooge McDuck of bad instructional documentation. Uh, I've, for documents, I have a pretty specific process, which is like at some point uh, we just had like a, we bought our house. So we just had a, like a, a box that we just would shove things in. And eventually we got like folders to like house pet. Um, but then that started getting overflowing and so eventually, like one day we went through all of that, cleaned it up, got up to date. But, it's like, but we're still going to end up at the same place here in like two years with all these documents. Like every time I go to the vet, do I need that? Do I need this thing every time I go to the vet? So what I started doing was I just created a shared like cloud folder with my wife. Whenever like when I pay for someone who does something at the house, I scan it. It goes into like house plumbing 2024 and like is just sorted that way. And then most of those get tossed out. It's like, I don't need a physical version of this document. I took a picture of it. It got stored away. And I just make sure I do that as soon as I like pay the person who comes to the house to do something or we go to the vet. So it requires the upkeep to like keep the process going. Um, the thing I, I have all over the house is I can't open a drawer somewhere without finding. So when you build a piece of furniture and there's the extra pieces mm-hmm. and you're on one hand, not sure did I put in all of the pieces and am I going to discover later that like there were three critical screws that like I needed to put in and I somehow missed page seven or which is very like, which is more likely is that they gave you extra pieces because that's just how they put all this stuff in bulk and to, to, to make sure that you have everything and don't call to get an extra baggie They're They're there. So I keep those for, so my problem is not manuals documents tossed out. Don't need, don't have a problem. But like little wooden knobs and screws in yep. a plastic baggie yep. that at one point I put a like a, a descriptor on. Well, that descriptor has been lost. It's rubbed time. off, or <laughs> it's yep. rubbed off, and I have no idea what those are for. So I've I've gotten better about tossing those eventually. We're like, and I get to the baggie two or three times. Like, okay, I think whatever I built, and frankly, I forgot what I built with this. So if I need it anyway, yes. I'm gonna have to call the company and get. Like Patrick, that's the other half of the shit I've got here is like, especially when they bring the screws in those little bags that don't have the resealable like little mini yes. ziplock thing. Well, I know this that tear it open. One point, and just throw it into another bin. Yeah, so it's like I'm like I should. There's gonna be a point where I need the screw, and I won't have the screw, and then my whole day will be about like which screw is this? I must measure it. I must figure I've it out. Never needed ne- the screw. Never come I've up. Never needed the screw. It's never come up. <laughs> Uh, Kato, I, I have to have, know what is your document process. I have two sort of zones for documents. Uh, it depends on like the where the manual is coming from. Basically, if it's some piece of tech, um, 
that is resellable. I usually keep the box so I could eventually resell it. So the manual just stays in the box. Do But do you resell it? I would say like 70% of the time. I'm like, okay. okay. That's pretty yeah. high. All right. There are okay. a few things Not where I'm like, well, was, okay. Because like, you know, um, I, saying you're going to resell something yeah. is different than right, putting it on eBay and being yeah. defrauded well, the truth through is PayPal. We thought less of you than we do now. That's the real <laughs> thing that no one wants to tell out. No, it, I was it thinking is. thinking about right. that closet of what that board game nonsense thing you bought of 80 expansion yeah, packs. Yeah, I was like, yeah, like you got that, and you say that you're packaging yeah. things to sell on eBay. I was eBay like, surely, or, no, I mean, but I'm not trying to sell the fucking board games. I want to play those. Someday. Yes, exactly. God damn it. We all. You say play you them. want to play them, and I think you want to want to play I them. I do want no, to play look, them. I'm reaching. The, here's the, the thing: I've got. I'm at one in, one out at this point. So if I ever need something else that's new, that's when I'm gonna have to sell the. the it's <laughs> uh, Bloodborne is first to go, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but we have to continue our campaign. I'll situation. keep the base game. I'm just gonna get rid of the expansions because there's like four yeah. boxes I still haven't opened yet. <laughs> Fair. Can you send them to Vinny? I think he, it, it, it was the same Kickstarter. He already has them. Oh, I know. <laughs> I guess you can send them to Nat. You can send them to Nat. You probably have Natalie's address. You yeah, can send them to her. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do not send them to Natalie. She doesn't need that either. No. <laughs> uh, but it, so the stuff that I'm like going to resell, the manual stays in there. Other stuff is like, uh, there's a box that has like all my documents in it that is too small now <laughs> because I'm getting older. Uh, so I have to I have to find another box, but it's just like a file box that has little, you know, uh slots for things. And then the mm-hmm. third place is in my in my kitchen because the real thing that I I feel like I use the most is just the manuals to like my instant pot or like uh double checking the burr settings on my coffee grinder mm. sometimes or like care stuff stuff in the kitchen usually is the thing that gets used the most so those manuals actually live in like a little um a magazine like holder that's on that's magnetic that's attached to the side of our fridge but aside from that like once you know if i've made a thing once like like if it's like construction manual sort of stuff that stuff goes away the second that the thing is built so it's just like in the trash yeah <laughs> kind of like this is who we are mm-hmm. for a brief golden moment we were like magnetic thing to store documentation and like stuff on our fridge yeah yeah and then we put too much in it and it <laughs> fell off <laughs> And you know how magnets are never quite as strong after they have like shock impacts. Yeah, yeah. it kept happening until it was like okay, now it can it can oh, only no. have like a piece of paper and two markers. Oh no! Just add more magnets, Rob. <laughs> you know what we need here? We're running out of magnets. Yeah, uh, I think. Have you tried digging up? <laughs> Uh, by the way, lots of people wrote in with suggestions for this, uh, and I might I might implement this and I'll let you know how it goes. But we were talking about like, I just want to be able to stream from the nice computer to yeah. wherever. Mm-hmm. And this is a rare case where all the, the DIYers and people who like do this, they, there's a convergence. So like, but didn't read your email. Uh, I saw it like there's a bunch of people sending good emails offering variations on this same advice uh to linky writes 
Uh, hey, Remap Crew, my partner's love of interior design, and my overall stinginess tend to keep my Zachnik tendencies in check most in most domains, but I do have one where I'm obsessed: free open so- source software, Foss. It just so happens that the Foss community have created the best in-house streaming solution, in my opinion, beating out the Steam Deck, GeForce Now, or any other paid solution. Wow. So NVIDIA used to have the most uh, performant house streaming solution I had used, NVIDIA GameStream. Only issue is that you needed to buy the flop that was the NVIDIA Shield TV to be able to use it. In steps the FOSS community with Moonlight. And this is the thing that everyone brought up. Like, use Moonlight. In steps the FOSS community with Moonlight, a free open source application that can parse game stream streams and throw them to a device. So now if you have an NVIDIA card, you can stream it to any device that can install Moonlight. So I and many others were heartbroken when NVIDIA announced earlier this year that they were killing off GameStream because the Shield TV flopped. Boo! Hiss! <laughs> Later that very day, a member of the Moonlight community announced that they had been working on a uh, FOSS ser- server application uh, that outputs with the same, or it, they might mean server, but it certainly looks like it would be server, application that outputs with the same format as NVIDIA GameStream. Sunshine! Sunshine also has the distinct advantage of not even needing an NVIDIA card to work. So now using both of these alongside uh, using, all right, this is where it gets a little more involved, it's alongside using Playnight, a FOSS digital game library that coordinates your libraries across digital. I ain't doing that. Oh I'm sorry. Playnight sounds cool. I ain't doing that. <laughs> so, well, Rob, so Rob, the, the uh, core problem here is same problem with the Steam Link. It's you want to have a, if you want to have your machine locked, you are shit out of luck. Because someone was recommending Moonlight to me as well. And I was like, yeah, but I have kids. My computer needs to be asleep and have a lock on it. And like, oh, yeah, you're going to have to go downstairs and unlock it. Well, that doesn't help me anymore. <laughs> like, I, like I, Moonlight is supposed to be really great. I, I've heard nothing but good things about it once you get it all set up. But I like that friction point is enough that I don't want to to deal with it. Yeah, like it. Tolinky sounds a bit like uh, the best in-house streaming thing. It's better and e- like better than like uh, like for instance GeForce Now. I think for doing this, like where it's streaming from one machine to the other in my house, yeah, like absolutely. But yeah, in the use case where it's like I'm half asleep on my couch and I just want to fire something up uh, yeah. and not go deal with the the main computer. There were people who wrote enough to dig. Maybe I'll I'll dig up the email that touched on this. There are more pieces of like software you can have to allow you to remotely turn on and unlock your PC. Like there's more stuff you can do to give mm-hmm. you like re- like remote control and streamline the functionality of like just make this thing go on and, pl- and playable uh, that you can integrate with this. But but by and large, if you're you know if you're willing to do the like run upstairs, turn on the computer, run back downstairs type thing, it does seem like there's a base level of like moonlight just being very easy to use yeah that like yeah. will at least get you up and running and it works on like you know somebody wrote in uh it works on the xbox uh the the app on mm-hmm. the xbox is pretty good so that's probably something i'm gonna give a shot to um re- you know because it would it would be nice to again like have the gaming pc effectively in every room without having to move it around well and it's it I, the the moonlight app is also uh it's on Apple TV, so I could get rid of a device, right? I wouldn't have to use the end. So I just so one thing I discovered, you know, I played, finished Phantom Liberty 
on GeForce Now. I'll talk about Phantom Liberty later, but uh, there's a the Bluetooth latency was not great. And one of the solutions people had or I was reading was like to buy, uh, you know, like a little USB stick from like 8BitDo and then connect that to the U- connect that via USB, have the controller connect to that USB thing. And that be how you're talking to it as opposed to the Bluetooth that's within the shield itself. Well, Rob, I didn't understand that there are two shields. Um, oh. I have what the two I have the tube. It's it's just like there's the, uh, the tube. Wait, what, the what was the thing that was like the controller with the flip up screen? Well, that well, that was a handheld that they made. Wasn't um, that also called the shield? Yeah, well, it's all part of the shield branding. Um, oh, my God. This is what people thought. Like when I bought this, when I bought the USB stick, I pe- this is what people actually Whoa. had, which is the 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 the, the, the uh, shield pro. Um, I don't have that. I have this like what essentially looks like like a paper towel tube, but it's black. Um, <laughs> and it's got a power cable and it's got an HDMI out. It does not have any way to USB power. I thought maybe I could get around it by like I plugged the USB thing into my TV and the shield saw it, but it couldn't pair with it. So I wasn't able to jump through the hoop that way. And so now the question is, like, is playing GeForce now? Look, I managed to I managed to finish it with the latency. So maybe a certain type of game <laughs> like I could just handle it. Um, but do I want to pay two hundred dollars to make the GeForce now work a little bit more? I don't I don't know. Um, people could write in and let me know if that if, if the the jump in latency is or lack of latency is so much better. I mean, like, I do like the setup, but then I don't know. I'm inclined to maybe go down your route, Rob, which is do I just make sure the door to my office is closed? My kids don't really go in there anymore. And do I get rid of the lock and I go the moonlight route? But as soon as I do that, my kid's going to come in and mash on the keyboards. You know what else really sucks, Patrick? <laughs> dogs? Is this, are we worried about a dog situation with the PC? No, it's the... Mm. Look, it's all it's all business expenses. This problem going away Don't in like two years. Well, except no, it won't. It won't because it's not like I'm going to be like uh, the old PC. I'm just as happy playing on that now. It'll be in two years if I'm like now the good PC. Like it'll be the same problem. (laughs) Now, did y'all see this? This is the same. Yeah. Is this the ether? Just run your PC over Ethernet. Yeah. So it's. On one end, well, on one end, it's HDMI in. Like, you still plug in, like, HDMI and USB and all that shit, but then it runs it through your Ethernet to the other box on the other end, which is where you plug in HDMI out and then whatever USB device you want to use to control it, right? Um, it's just, right? There's no services that you have to deal with as long as whatever what? you want. Here's the thing. You how could plug my, in. How does my controller work with this? Then you plug. You have to plug it in. You have to. You have to get a dongle to plug into the USB. Okay, so the dongle that I do have. Yeah. I would plug that in. So it has the. Okay. Right. It has USB. This is what on I both need ends. to do. I need. I need to get someone to come to my house and run an Ethernet wire like from <laughs> well, my you don't office even have up to, to there. You just have to plug it into your internet from wherever it currently is. Right. It doesn't have to be a direct line of. It's not one single what? cable between two things. It goes into your LAN. It goes into your router. But then, 
doesn't have to be plugged into ETH. Well, then, well I don't know. It, it has to be plugged upstairs. into. Sorry, what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't have to. It's not a single cable burning between these two boxes. Okay. It just whatever current Ethernet cable plugs into your computer, like that same wherever that goes to the router or whatever, you can plug that into this, right? Okay. Okay. Waypoint so summer stream. I don't know what stream. any of this is. <laughs> <laughs> like, Wait, Coddle and Rob rip open one of Patrick's walls. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, this is why. Like, but that doesn't the. Huh. Go ahead, Janet. Oh, I was just gonna say that my thing is like dumb and irrelevant, but that's <laughs> never stopped me before. So, <laughs> but I've been watching a lot of like um, Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay. We need content mm. nightmares. Someone to come in and be mm-hmm. like, How, "What is this setup?" Like you know, and just start. <laughs> It's like, you know, why don't you just plug it in through Ethernet? I don't know if I have. You don't know if you have Ethernet. You know, we need like a whole, a whole. I thing. agree. This this is what if the house thing. in Cincinnati that we haven't bought yet is going to be, is going to be used for. No, I kind of was going to ask, but doesn't the, yeah, I get it. One box is plugged into the PC hardwired over Ethernet, but doesn't the other box that's connected that's upstairs connected to the TV also have to be hardwired over Ethernet? Yes. Right, right. Okay. It's just, it's I, don't to, it, e- I don't have an I don't have an Ethernet drop up there. Okay, then that then that the bit comes in. You have to figure out the how qu- to get the question would be: it. Could I could I use um, what is the way that you can run Ethernet over your like electrical like what you know what I'm talking yeah. about? It's um, yeah. yeah. Would that work? Power line, power line, Pro- power line. I, I'm curious because so power line is huh. only as effective as the wiring in your house. Right. That's the that's the 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 tricky situation there is where but would it would it be good like even if i have crummy wiring would which it? i know i've been in this house mm-hmm. for 7 years the wiring fucking sucks in this house mm. um uh, mm. <laughs> but would it be good enough that it would accomplish the task i have a power line adapter it's it's literally sitting over there right i mean it, it might do be do i need it do it i need to spend 174 dollars yeah. on, on this yeah 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 <laughs> I can always send it back, right? I, I, can, a picture I can try of it. Power line, because the only thing I can think about. <laughs> I guess I should just buy it, and if it doesn't work, then I'll just return it. I mean, if I order now, I can get it between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. tomorrow. Yeah, because I have that warehouse <laughs> so close to me. Also, Fuck. like I felt my mind was blown when I realized people in maybe not as big of a place don't get like Amazon Prime for them. They're like, oh, it takes it never. It's never two days. So I was like, what are you talking about? Like. Mm-hmm. They they right, make so. the objects on the back of the truck here. Like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this for me is like I like B N H delivers everything within a day. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this is like I so need, you can like, avoid it. If I can if like like B&H everything else rules. is a distant second option as far as like getting any sort of like electronics related thing mm-hmm. here, B N H will have it on my doorstep before I would have like motivated myself to get in the car and go to Best Buy. Even like it's just like instant. Um they're great. I yeah, go I go pick I go pick up stuff all the time there because it's just like why even you know I have errands to do anyways out in the world. <laughs> I'm just gonna go down to B and H and grab whatever I need. It's great. Yeah, but like we do, but I don't live in like the Amazon instant delivery belt. Like those days are behind me. Mm. Like I am, uh, I am no longer privileged uh, to like be guaranteed <laughs> the two day delivery in here. So in you're Mall. one of, you're the people that I didn't know existed. Yeah. Where I'm like, when will it be here? Should I have <laughs> paid for shipping? No. Okay. I'll just wait. Maybe it got stolen. Sometimes <laughs> it got stolen. 
Oh, you know, God. sometimes that, that is the answer. So wait, uh, the <clears> one <throat> thing I wanted to mention though, if you if you could figure out how to get Ethernet mm-hmm. upstairs, the this fixes your lock problem because you can just plug in a keyboard and unlock your computer right, right at the top. Right. right. Like Right. Yeah. I'm willing. Yeah, I've, I I got you know, I I got Oh, I I got the coffee table, <laughs> Janet. Like I got the lift top. Oh, you did? Like I I built I built one of those over over did my you holiday break. So I got a huh? Did you keep the extra screws? Uh, I use no. I taught. I I was confident that I'd use. Which one did you get? Not to um, burn HOA content, but because last time we checked, you were having a real hard time finding one that didn't look like it was going to fall the fuck apart after like you know two openings and closings. Where did we? I think we got it from Wayfair. Did you get your casters? Wait. That was the big thing. Did you get your casters? No, uh, the I don't. Casters dream is dead. Damn. So the the casters dream is dead because I think. The, I don't think the material would be able to. Like, I think it would. I don't think it could handle putting casters on it for the amount of like devices that I'm putting in there. So it's just kind of a a big heavy object at this point. But um, people pointed out to me that you can get there's like a certain types of fabric that you can put underneath yeah. where the legs of the table are that will make moving it like on a wood floor mm. like much more manageable. They're a little. You know, ugliest to look at, but they're like you get small enough ones, you won't notice. Yeah. It. So and the problem can, with the furniture sliders is sometimes you slide them, and then uh-huh. secretly they've come off. Uh huh. Or a pet has like found a little edge of a furniture slider and worked it out from under the thing that's supposed to slide, and so now it's like lopsided, and one part doesn't slide, yeah. and instead like <laughs> drags or even gouges. Uh huh. Hmm. So the table has. Uh, uh, underneath um like we have moved it for like exercise and mm. it doesn't scratch the floor would you want to do that a million times you know what i mean like i don't think that is a sustainable yeah. uh solution to the problem hold on I, I just got my wayfair login i'm trying to get the actual computer. it was you <laughs> where's my code Oh, I love to have to do two factor to get into the fucking furniture like clearance website. I don't know. I'll find this on for HOA later. But yeah, we found like a, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't uh, break the, break the bank on this one. Mostly because we wanted to figure out. Well, it's how I do a lot of this stuff. It's like I bought something that was more expensive than I would normally spend, less than I would spend if I wanted the the permanent. Yeah. Uh, object so I can figure out what I like and don't like about it. Sure, sure. What I discovered with this one that I don't like is I wish it was smoother to open and close. Um, mm, and so yeah. I would, I yeah. would spend more time looking at reviews over like the smoothness of being able to open the lift top. Is Wafer uh, only online? I don't remember if it has a physical. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's yes. the thing. Um, which I, I feel like maybe I mentioned, or maybe I didn't like, I I'm big on, like I have to feel it because it's like, you just know, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. And yeah, like, I have <laughs> like, well, it was, like an easy it, it, I just didn't, close, like, I didn't realize it was something to think. I was like, no, I'm sure it just opens and closes. And it's like, oh, no. I mean, it does, but like, you've got you to don't feel good a little about bit. Of, it's so indescribable, too. It's like a vibe because I was in the furniture store when we were picking it out, and I'm like, no, this one's just, it's just bad. And then I'm like, we have to just look at a different one. Like, I don't know. Well, the, the, it, it's like sti- you, you, it like resists itself or something. That's yes. It, it, it the one that we got resists a little too much, where you almost have to like kind of firmly hold the table to get it to to come up properly, which is good for the kids, yeah, because they can't accidentally do it. But I can just—they're old enough that I can just tell them no, 
And so I'm not protecting. It's like I just want the goddamn table to open up, yeah. and and sometimes it doesn't do do so with the smoothness that I would I would prefer. But um, yeah, anyway. you good otherwise. I'm good otherwise. It's good. It's doing its job. <laughs> it's it's hiding. It hit all the objects, and that's what I wanted it to do. And it makes accessing like my Steam Deck very easy because it's got a little spot underneath the, the lift tip. So that that part I'm very happy. I I love the design. I just think I'd get something different. Uh, if I was to do it all over again. So, you know what, kids? Spill, so spill something on it. Mark, mark it up. You know, give dad give dad an excuse to to buy the $1,000 one instead of the, the $300 one. Well, the search for satisfaction will continue uh, <laughs> on another episode of Remap Radio. Our theme song is by Two Mellow. You can check out his work on twomellow.net. You can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support. And you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. This week, Patreon subscribers got to hear who, where, Ah, memberful. Uh-huh. Uh, remap radio. What? What are we? What? Are, what do we call them? All right, I'm. I'm, I'm changing. Just the remap subscribers. Mappies. The memberful part is. Yeah, mappers. No, we're not calling mappy. Can people write us like we're the mappers? Is the problem? We're the mm-hmm. mappers. They're the mappies. No, nope. like, gro- like groupies, but map mappies. Uh. Mappies. <laughs> let's try it. You know, let's try it out. Uh, this week. Come to PAX East and meet the Mappies. Uh, no, 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 Pat, like Pat, put a little like accent on it so that we know it's like people to whom the mapping or for whom the mapping is done. So <laughs> this week, the Mappies, the Mappies subscribe, right. the Mappies got to hear Patrick and uh-huh. I yet again wring our hands about the Chicago <laughs> Bears and the future of the Green Bay Packers uh, without the interruption of ads. Your support also lets us set time aside for streaming this week. Kato and I really fucked up our motorsport manager team beyond our recognition by having Look, some risks we took. I think it played out great. I think, you know, fourth place finish with our second, with our worst drivers. Except it was a sixth place finish, Kato, Wait, because, right, he, because was, the he, fucking, was, the fucking he lost two places engine. and then the engine, the engine we spent like $4 million developing God was banned uh, because it was illegal. We were cheating and we thought we wouldn't get caught and uh, we did. Anyway, <laughs> Uh, che- so that cheaters happened. Cheaters never win, kids. Don't forget. By the time you listen to this, <laughs> we'll have streamed over the Microsoft Developer Direct, the Xbox Developer Direct, and maybe played some games afterwards. And then uh, maybe as you listen to this, Kato and Patrick will be returning to Lunacid. Well, well pro- or not. Well, um, <laughs> Kato and I may, uh, I don't know, man, we got to go shoot some I fucking Pokemon. Gotta... I mean, sorry, what are they called? Oh, I no, is it? World Palamon? Are they called Palamon? I don't even know, but it's called Pal World. Pallies? Yeah, Yeah, they're the (laughs) What we're going to do is we're going to load up Pal World and we'll see... Is this when it's funny, it down. interesting, <laughs> or should we just go play Lunacid instead? Yeah. We'll, we'll probably do a little bit of both. We'll, yeah. we'll play some Power World. We'll make a little bit of progress in, in Lunacid before we get back to a, another big stream about that. But we, we we put together our schedule, and then all of a sudden, Kato noticed, like, oh, ah, <laughs> Pokemon with Guns comes out. Pokemon we have with to guns. play that. Like, yeah, we gotta right. look at we Pokemon with Guns. <laughs> Well, either way, we'll be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us. Fuck capitalism. Go home. Go home.